This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hey, does anyone want to learn French with me? Because I've decided in 2024 that I want to learn French. And thankfully, I have Rosetta Stone. So you better hop on it so we can learn French together. Rosetta Stone has the amazing true accent feature, which is so helpful, especially in French. You get feedback on how well you're actually pronouncing words. Plus, they have 25 languages to choose from. So if you're not going to learn French with me, I'm sure you can find some other people who will learn a language with you. But I'm on the French team this year. Come on, folks, join me. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, and that's why we drink listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash drink. That's rosettastone.com slash drink. Sweet. Sweet. we're so easily amused oh my god (laughs) i really do love that sound it gets me so jazzed and i don't yeah i don't know what it's about but every time i hear i'm like oh shit it's it's going going down down. (laughs) (laughs) oh empathy i miss you Uh, i miss you i have i talked to you in a while i I don't remember probably but like it never i feel like we just kind of lose track of uh time we go we go through spurts for people wondering if we're just like always talking to each other we go through (laughs) spurts of talking non fucking stop and then we go through spurts where it's like i probably have not heard from you in like five days no it's true it's like manic phases where we like can't stop telling each other everything and it'll be like 4 a.m and i'll be like also this and then yeah there'll be like or like i'll I like to I like to FaceTime Christine when I'm peeing. So yeah, uh, Adam used to accuse me of calling when they were peeing, and now it's like, guess what I did? Doing? But then it it then it made me feel safe. So then I started. Wait, doing it's it a back. Pavlovian <laughs> response. Every time you tinkle, yeah. you're like, time to call Christine. Every every time I make peeps, I'm like, I just gotta think of Christine. <laughs> but yeah, now I now I FaceTime you, and that's what I tell you all my drama, I and it's a good that time. Time, it's potty time. It's my favorite time. Yeah, I love potty time. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Empathy, why do you drink this week? I know you told me to ask, and I'm very intrigued. Um, Although I was intrigued, and then you were like, it's a story about my glasses. And I was like, oh, boy, here we go. It's not even that interesting, but I just... I mean, I I know. That's kind of why I'm not as thrilled as I was hoping. It's a mundane thing to be upset about, uh, at least to me. But my, I've had these glasses for I can't even tell you how long. And they're just getting to the point where they are nearly unusable, like... I'm currently looking through like clouds right now Uh-oh. to be able to see. Like it's just my lenses are so fucking scratched and like I just need new glasses and I'm not looking forward to the process because it's an expensive process. Well, because you I, have the the special need, special like eye needs. <laughs> yeah, I do have special eye needs. <laughs> I have uh yeah, I wear trifocals, yeah. which means there are three individual prescription lenses in each so- L- on each side of my eye. L- and so they're very, very, very pricey, which means I'm going to have to commit to like, I got to go get my vision tested a million times to double- make check or 
to make sure that each prescription is right before they put them all in the glasses. And then might as well go find new frames. But then then I have like my ADHD overwhelmed, like, do I stick with what I know sure. and feel safe with? Or do I get a whole new pair of glasses? Because since I have trifocals, I got to commit to this frame, these frames for like five years. And it's it's a lot. So anyway, I'm I'm struggling currently. Well, if you want, you can go back and listen to the episode that I remember very clearly editing, which I believe was <laughs> our crossover with Wine and Crime, where you complained about your glasses oh. falling apart, where you needed new glasses. So maybe you can go back and listen and get so inspired about the cycle of how these glasses tend to go oh. for you. We probably weren't even that close with Wine and Crime yet, and that's just what they remember. It's just me so funny because I remember about. like they were like telling some story, some like wild tale, and then it was like. My glasses are so (laughs) embarrassed. No, don't be. I just remember editing it down and being like, wow, they probably were like, "Um, is this, is this, is this leads to your drinking problem, everybody? Um, Well, uh, speaking of wine and crime, it is Kenyon's birthday. I know. I know. Uh, Didn't you see her for 4th of July? Yes. We never heard about this. I never talked about that. She visited um, with her husband because they both, they moved to kentucky the week i moved to kentucky i moved from la to kentucky she moved from south africa to kentucky and we both moved the same week and like we had no clue it was so bizarre i just remember being like this is the weirdest coincidence of all what was the hangout like oh it was so fun they came up for fourth of july um i had a little barbecue and my family was it was i felt kind of bad because i was like oh so renee got sick so she didn't make it so i was like it's like my family so come over and hang out with my family (laughs) but it was super fun um and they were great and i served wine and crime wine Ah, so i was like kenyan my wine has your your face on it like that's how (laughs) i was a little much probably but she brought her dog josie and josie and geo are really similar looking so they were like little twins Um, it was very fun and i we just wished you were there and the other wine and crimers were there well missed you apparently uh amanda and lucy had fomo and so after they found out that y'all were gonna hang out they like drunkenly facetimed me when i was in (laughs) vegas so we were all together in spirit oh that's funny also what weird i don't think i've ever realized how many similarities the two of you have we're like it is you run a true crime podcast you have a very similar dog you moved to kentucky from a far distance yes Uh, it's weird right and then like um i don't need i need to air anybody's personal stuff online but we had some very similar things that happened last year that were like you know personal uh health issues issues, exactly and so it's just a very weird like when i feel like we had never met up one-on-one before and it was very much like i don't know we were like in the same like headspace she's probably like no christine stop (laughs) she's like i'm not coming back no (laughs) but it was really fun um and oh they were they're coming back i don't need to tell everybody when they're coming back but they're coming back soon uh to cincinnati oh yay and they came up to go to Ikea, which is hilarious because, like, we have a big Ikea here. Um, but I used to do that in Virginia. Our Ikea really? was an hour away. Yeah, because yeah. we are – I, like, never thought of it growing up as, like, oh, we're a special place with an Ikea. But it's true. Like, there's not one anywhere else around. Um, but so they came up for an Ikea for a trip. And um, they're coming up again for, like, a, I think a Bengals game and a Reds game or something. And we live, like – Again, I'm triangulating myself, but I live like walking distance from both stadiums. And I Girl. was like, this is going to be so- – there's a lot – okay, they're downtown. There's a lot of options from walking. Okay. Oh but 
girl. But then, <laughs> girly pop. I can't stop. I can't stop. Um, but they're coming, and I was so frustrated because it's the exact weekend I'm going to Connecticut for um, my beautiful mother-in-law's hosting a baby shower, which I'm so excited about. And Aww. it's so special because I'm going to see all the siblings that we haven't seen because of COVID, and, like, it's just going to be really nice. But, yeah, so I'm going to be out of town when they come back. But, you know. They'll be here. So, so sweet. It'll be fun. Anyway, that's all. Uh, I don't really have any other reason I drink except that, um, you know, it's just I feel really I feel like a circus tent. I had a maternity photo shoot yesterday, Emothy. And what um, does that mean? Like a photo just, shoot. Like, you know. I know. But like, how do they pose you? Like, oh, what, just what like, you, like engagement photos, except I have a large stomach. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> There's um, only one difference. I in know. These pictures. I had a prop. So she was like, well, at least you can put your hand somewhere. And I was like, that's a really good point. Um, was it weird? So here's the thing. Here's here's my thing. Yeah. When it comes to professional photography. Right. I'm not. I'm not for it because I get I get really stage fright, obviously. But also, I get so in my head about it that it doesn't feel natural at all. I already think about like if Allison and I ever get married and we have to have like engagement photos or even photos at the wedding. Yeah, like I feel I would get so nervous at how unnatural they feel. Like, was this like a session where like she made you or they made you feel like? Super comfy during yeah, the Yeah, I mean, I feel like if, if you go with someone who you don't, like, I don't know, feel comfortable talking to or connecting with, maybe it's weird. But I don't know. I mean, I think a professional photographer gets a vibe of, like, this is what your comfort level is. You're not the kind of person, like, I'm not the kind of person who wants to stand in a field of, like, sunflowers with, like, a robe, yeah. you know, and, like, showing my stomach. Like, that's not my jam. So I found a photographer online. I'm sure they'll I'll tag them on Instagram, but where they were just like very casual, very like down to earth. Like the photos are all kind of just people like it's not super cheesy. Do you know what I mean? I'm I'm thinking I'm thinking sunflowers. with No, 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 no. I don't do that. I I can't. I mean, I would have been. I mean, let's put this where I was like, this is really embarrassing. And she was like, I know, just do it for a minute. Like, it'll turn out better than you think. And I very much appreciate when photographers are like, this is gonna feel real stupid. She was very upfront about stuff like that. Like, just she was like, lean in, Blaze. I know she's sweaty. And I was like, okay, we don't need to talk about (laughs) my sweat. (laughs) No, I, I mean, let's put it this way. Like when I even think about like engagement or wedding pictures, or I, those, I'm only using those because I can't even conceptualize We've another a few reason photo I would shoots. need a professional. I know, and I was uncomfortable the whole time, but not oh, because no. like, not because the photographer did anything, just because I hate being in front of a camera. But like, even remember I showed you the picture from when I went to Vegas with Allison and we were in the gondola. Yes. Oh, that was this? funny. But like, that was those... weird. That was awkward. I mean, that was made to be awkward. Like. I guess so. Someone, there was a professional photographer there, and I guess since you're in a gondola, it's supposed to look all romantic. Yikes. And they're like, oh, give each other a kiss. And like, we had literally never kissed in front of a camera before in four it's, years. It's and wild. we were so uncomfortable. And that picture just like blew my, like, we intentionally looked so uncomfortable because we didn't know what else to do. So we made an awkward joke out of it. But then I think of like, what happens when we get married? And everyone's like, take a picture of you kissing. And I'm like, you just I tell them I don't want a photo do of us kissing. And they're like, okay, like, you're hiring me if you don't want a photo of you kissing. I mean, yeah, mm. I feel like I feel like it's just all about communication. Like, I don't know. I think she just got a I, I, I got a vibe from the photographer. She got a vibe from me. It was sort of like we're not doing the whole cheesy, like lying down in an angelic outfit, whatever. Like, that's just not me. 
Oh, I didn't hear any of that because <laughs> my and literally I started speaking out. about lying down in a field, and I was like, I'm unplugging what? my headphones now. <laughs> I don't want to hear any of this. I don't blame that you. was God. I, he was like, you don't need this. God was like, you have glasses problems. That's enough for you this week, Emily. <laughs> Um, no, but I'm <laughs> anyway. I'm glad your your photo shoot went well. But I like immediately. Just, I hope like, it like, went broke, well. Question mark. She said it. I went just well. break into a, a sweat whenever I think about like being put on the spot like that. Even if it's like in a comfortable. Don't get me wrong. I was nervous. It was it was out of my like. There's nothing definitely out of my element about like being because we oh we also took the photos downtown where the wedding was. Um, so it was like in oh, front of the oh. same building, which is kind of cute. So it was like all the same spots where we had wedding photos. Um, that actually makes it very sweet. Oh wow, that's so thank cool. Thank you. It was uh it was kind of, it was 98 degrees out and it was uh humid as fuck, but you know, otherwise it was a fun time. Uh <laughs> Oh good. I also wore high heels and Blaze was like this is the dumbest thing you've ever done and I was like 5 minutes later I was like you're Wait, absolutely you right. Wait, you chose that for yeah. yourself? And here's the thing. I all my you're Rossies stupid. are fun colors, so it didn't match my dress. <laughs> so I had to wear I had to find shoes that were like plain um and they were they were uncomfortable but anyway i'll post those on instagram eventually when they come in but hopefully unless they're just really unflattering which i don't know <laughs> she seemed to be you know know what she was doing so i don't think seemed they to be on her game yeah anyway <sighs> anyway i want to hear sorry a story. to sorry to ask i i will tell you one sorry to ask you so many questions no, I, I appreciate i hear professional photography it. and i'm like how did you make that not awkward for well, yourself because i can't get out of that mental block what did you think when we had like the wedding photographer was that super weird or not really? i only had to be in like i only remember being in like three pictures so i wasn't even i think really you were in a lot of group of pictures which maybe is less uncomfortable yeah, if it was just the two of us over and over, I would be. There were some cute photos of us though that I've like never really gone through because I have like two thousand photos. But there's some cute ones of us that I should post or pull out or show you or something. I think I just recently sent you my favorite picture from from your wedding, but it was like a complete candid. There's no way someone could have captured that if oh. we knew it was happening. But per the professional pictures. Do I have it? I have it near me. It's the one that you framed. Yes, it's somewhere around yes, here. That's the I one like I that love one a where lot. I'm drinking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good times. I know. I that's that's one of my favorite pictures of us too. So. But also that was candid. I think that was one of the pictures where they said like you're gonna look stupid, but do this, and yes. I really appreciated it. I they know what so. they're doing. You know, I just kind of have to trust them. <sighs> okay, here's your story, Christine. Yay. Um, also, I'm preparing you now because whatever dark shit you're about to talk about in the second half of this, I would like to know what the size of your baby is because it's all I have to comfort <laughs> okay, me. I'm going. Oh, wait, you want no? You want to know afterward or now? I want to know afterward, after, like okay. so we can end on a high. So we'll have know? like we only have a few weeks left of this plan. So uh, we'll lean into it for now. Yeah, we'll lean into it, and then we'll have to find something Fantastic. else to size. Yeah. Fantastic. Explore new possibilities, pleasure zones, and find your vibe at funlove.com. Funlove.com is a leading online retailer of sensual health and wellness products, offering a wide array of premier brands of toys, lingerie, and accessories. I know I've talked about it before, but we received the most lovely gift basket from Funlove. First of all, I didn't know what it was at first, and then when I pulled out a vibrator, I thought, oh boy, this is not your everyday fruit basket. There was everything, I'm telling you, from sexy perfumes to toys to vibrators to lube. I mean, I gotta say, it's like a one-stop shop, okay? If you go to funlove.com and you're looking for maybe a romantic evening, either with a loved one or with yourself, they've got what you're looking for, I can promise you. So what are you waiting for? Explore, discover, indulge, and make love fun by visiting funlove.com. 
And if you live in Arizona or Colorado, check out one of their 18 store locations. Hey, maybe I'll stop by when I'm in town. And for a limited time, you can save 30% off your first order when you use the code DRINK at funlove.com. Head to funlove.com today and use code DRINK at checkout to save 30% off your first order. Visit funlove.com today. It feels very fitting that Juniper is currently sitting on my lap uh, because we all want our cats to be healthy and happy because when they're happy, we're happy. But because we're not mind readers, we don't always know when they're unwell. And in my experience, cats are not the most, you know, open when it comes to sharing their woes. And there goes Junie, literally jumped right off me. So helping us keep tabs on our cat's health is just one reason you should use Pretty Litter. Pretty Litter's ultra absorbent crystals trap odor instantly. No more cat bathroom smell, thank God. Pretty Litter's super light crystal base also minimizes mess and dust. Plus, the crystals last up to a month, which means less scooping and fewer trips to the garbage can for Blaze, because that's his job. Here's the coolest thing about Pretty Litter. It changes colors to help monitor early signs of potential illness in our cats, including urinary tract infections and kidney issues. And Pretty Litter ships free right to your door in a small, lightweight bag. Pretty Litter has changed the game. The litter box is right near Leona's room, and so it is very delightful to not have that litter smell all the time when she's taking a nap. Plus, we can rest easy knowing that Juniper and his little kidneys are healthy. Pretty Litter helps keep tabs on my cat's health and keeps odors down. You and your cat are going to love Pretty Litter as much as we do. Go to prettylitter.com slash ATWWD and use code ATWWD to save 20% on your first order. That's prettylitter.com slash ATWWD code ATWWD to save 20%. Prettylitter.com slash ATWWD code ATWWD. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Okay, so here's your story. Sweet Christine, here Aww. it is. It Aw, you little. I actually called you gross on TikTok Live last Wait, night. Wait, what? So. What's TikTok Live? <laughs> what? <laughs> like I was on live, like live streaming on TikTok. What? I always miss your fun adventures. I was playing Hangman, and one of the things I did was Christine is gross. Okay, you so. are a big butthead. That's my <laughs> next Hangman. <laughs> um, okay, here for you. It's not cowboys, but it's the other half of that. What is your favorite? What's your favorite stories? Aliens. Yes. Yay. Go alien UFOs. Tried to find a cowboy. It did not happen. But I was able to mix it well with one of my favorite things, Canada. So. Okay. Here we go. Fun. Um, This is the Falcon Lake incident. (gasps) What's that? I like M takes a sip of their tea to like have my reaction framed (laughs) between silence. Dramatic pause. Yep. 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 Okay. So this, first of all, I want to give a huge shout out to a podcast. I ended up actually just reading the transcript. And so I didn't actually oh. hear, I didn't hear what it was called. It's it's the UFOs at either LAC or the Uf- UFOs at LAC, because they would like say the word LAC. Okay. So I don't know which one it is, but that podcast is pretty much most of my notes. So um Thank you so much. Like, they nailed it. They Wait, had their... Com- oh, that's the name of the podcast. It's the name of the podcast. UFOs at LAC or UFOs at LAC. Okay. But they had their... They had... It was a two-part episode for the Falcon Lake incident, and they had interviewed actual witnesses and, like, key witnesses. Whoa. Who, and it, they had complete transcripts of the whole thing, so it was easy to just read through the interviews and get wow. a lot of information. So, shout out to them. And I'm only covering a scratch this of the surface so please go listen if you are interested so the falcon lake incident is in manitoba canada yeah which i have three fun facts for you about manitoba oh, hell yeah. canada one Lay of on the me. uh fun facts one and two 
is that it is the polar bear capital <gasps> and the Slurpee capital. Wait, that's so fun. Wait a second. I just got it. The icy polar bear. Whoa. <laughs> I don't know if I got anything, but I, I connected Whew. them in my head. No, I t- like the little. B- yeah. Oh, that makes He's total sense. I see. I don't know. I, I <gasps> see from Manitoba, maybe. Oh, my goodness. Well, it did say Slurpee. So I'm oh, imagining okay, that's like 7-Eleven. But maybe Slurpee came out and Icy was like, I'm going to be your competitor and use our animal. You know, uh-huh. I don't know. There could be some real drama there that we could unpack. Um, fun fact number three is that this story also takes place specifically in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Yay. Where Winnie the Pooh is named after. <gasps> I didn't know that. Fun. Did you know that I have like a really deep-seated obsession with Winnie the Pooh um, from childhood? Interesting. When I was a kid, I had a deep-seated obsession with Tigger. Aww. Yeah, I had all the old books, like the like the old, old versions and like all the original. Like I don't like the newer, like Disney adapt. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like the original classic ones. And I got the baby a bunch of little um swaddles that have like the map of the hundred acre wood and it says like eeyore's sad place <laughs> that's precious it's i was gonna so say cute. you liked Pooh, i like tigger and i guarantee we're both eeyore, eeyore we, but, and we just we tried to ignore it but like we were both eeyore all along yeah um gender is a construct so it doesn't matter that he was a boy but i had the biggest crush on rabbit and also <gasps> the fact that rabbit had like severe ocd i was absolutely. like i can respect this guy yeah i can absolutely. respect him I was like, stop messing with his carrots, everybody. Like, Jesus, he's asking politely to set some boundaries. I thought he, like, just hung the moon. I thought he was so cool. That's very precious. Also, if anyone goes back and watches my, like, number one favorite show from, like, kindergarten to second grade, Little Bear. Little Bear. I had, <gasps> I had such a big crush on Wait, didn't Cat. I, didn't we just talk about Little Bear? I feel like I brought up Little Bear, like, three weeks ago. <laughs> Oops. Probably. I don't know if I mentioned it last time, but I had the biggest crush on cats. You so. didn't mention it. I'm so glad to know. I mean, who maybe was you also did, a boy? Uh-oh, look at you. Well, actually, oh. it was a cat, so I don't know that that was, matters. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It was a cat. I mean, I also had a crush on Kovu from Lion King Two, the Scar's nephew or whatever. Oh, I don't know if I ever saw Lion King Two. Oh, I was too traumatized you, by Lion King One. <laughs> you would have a very large crush on Kovu. I promise you. Okay. I think I we could agree it. on one thing. Just go look him up real quick. Just go look. How do you spell Kovu. that? K O V U. Tell me, six-year-old you wouldn't okay, have well, lost your second, fucking mind. Okay, well, the second, like, fill in the blank on Google was, like, as a human. So clearly people <laughs> have tried to make fan Oh, art. this is a thing. Like, people love Kovu. Oh, he's cute. He's a hottie. For a uh, lion? Like, yeah. I'm not, I mean, you know, I'm just wow. saying. Kovu, kindergarten me, he was a smoke show. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay let's don't get look into- up kovu as a human it, it got weird pretty fast um, <laughs> i am not surprised all the people who fact. loved kovu as a child ended up like getting like fan fiction pages so. yeah yeah <sighs> okay here we go so, so winnie the pooh was named after winnipeg okay by that's the way. fun that's i did not here. know that so the falcon lake incident is one of the most famous cases probably the most famous case in canada uh, it is one of the top UFO cases out there, and it's been uh, on several TV shows and had a bunch of reenactments and things like that. But it's probably most famed show it was on was the original Unsolved Mysteries. <gasps> Classic. So, and the, which, by the way, was season five, episode eight. Nice. At least the version I saw on YouTube was that. So, 
1967 is where this takes place, my friend. And the main character to our story could have different pronunciations to his name because in BuzzFeed Unsolved, they called him Stefan Mohalik. And in Unsolved Mysteries from the 60s, they called him Stephen Mikulak. <laughs> oh, wow. Both are different. Okay. So Stephen Mikulak or Stefan Mahalik, but it's it's the wow. same spelling, different pronunciations. I'm going to run with Stephen Mikulak because even the key witnesses say that the Unsolved Mysteries t- retelling of the story is the most accurate one that they ever saw. Okay. So I, I feel like they at least heard the name Stephen Mikulak and they were like, that's fine. That, that works. We'll take it. So Stephen is 51. This is May 1967. Stephen is 51. He's a mechanic from Winnipeg, but he often went to the Falcon Lake woods because of his interest in geology. <gasps> um, and I guess over there they had a lot of quartz. And I apparently if there's quartz, there's also potential for nickel and gold. Um, he also was out there looking for silver and Fawn Lake Woods was just, I guess, scattered with it. So he went on a little geology excursion. He left really early, like 530 in the morning. And this is a quote from him. Stephen says that when he went to Falcon Lake Woods that morning, he, quote, brought a hammer, a map, a compass, paper and pencil and a little food to see me through the day also wearing a light jacket against the morning chill. The day was bright, sunny, not a cloud in the sky. It seemed like another ordinary day, but events which were to take place within the next six hours were to change my entire life for more than anyone could ever imagine. I will never forget May 20th, 1967. Whoa. Whoa. What? Okay. So while out in the woods, it all starts with geese, as it always does. It always does, doesn't it? Just honking around. Always honking. So he hears a sound nearby and it's a bunch of geese that have apparently been startled by something. And when he looks around to see what it was, he sees two objects in the sky. One of them was cylindrical or both of them were cylindrical with humps on them and they glowed this really bright scarlet red. Mm. And the objects apparently as they got closer to him, they switched from being more cylinder shaped to more oval shaped So I guess they got more egg-shaped. Yeah. And as they got closer to him, one of them stopped moving in the sky. The other one that did not stop moving in the sky and kept getting closer and closer to him eventually landed nearby on this kind of rock path or this brush area. And at the same time, the one in the sky is hovering and not moving. It's just hovering above them and eventually takes off. Meanwhile, the one that landed starts changing colors in oh, front of him. dear. It starts turning from, like, a red to a silver to, like, it's got gold all around it now. Like, it's got, like, an outline. Oh! <laughs> um, and uh, Stephen says that after, like, realizing what he was paying attention to and what he was seeing, he very quickly went into, like, remember every detail mode <gasps> so that way he could, like, try to not yes, forget this. Yes, love that. So smart. He did say that the machine, and I feel like we just covered this with a different UFO story, but he said that he remembers it not looking like it had any joints welded into it, like it had been pieces put together. He said it looked more like one massive piece of steel had kind of been chipped away, so there was one solid object. Weird. That is weird. 
which someone else has also just said in a recent story that it looked like really weirdly smooth steel. Okay. So he said the same thing. He also said that there was this warm sulfur smell coming out of it. It also sounded like a machine was kind of whirring around and he started looking for any identification marks to see like, is this a military craft? Is this smart? Is it a, a language? I don't know. And, uh, eventually I guess he like, I don't know, bonded with this craft to a point where he felt like he could like sit down and just hang out next to it. So he, okay. <laughs> he sat down next to it and with the kit he had with his paper and pen, he started drawing the UFO the best he could. Like he, he just, I guess, thought like, oh, it doesn't look like it's moving or if no one's coming out. I guess I'm just going to sit here with it and sketch it out. Sketch it. Paint me like one of your French aliens. I don't know. So <laughs> after he sketched it, he sketched it for like a good 30 minutes. Like it was oh, like. Oh, wow. This is a full a session, full portrait session. This was no stick figure UFO. <laughs> this was like he drew out like um, he tried to draw different sections of it so that we could get like almost a 360 scope of it. I mean, <gasps> smart. He, yeah, so he was on it. And eventually he walks up after he's done drawing, I guess. Uh, he got curious and walked up to the UFO and he saw this part I didn't see in the interview transcript, but I did see in the episode of Unsolved Mysteries. And again, they all said that this was a very accurate retelling, so I'm going to run with it. That uh, he walked up to the UFO and the door opens all of a sudden. There's like a hatch that opens up. And inside is this bright ass glowing purple light coming from inside. And apparently it's so bright that it's making him see like spots. You know what I mean? Oh my god, yeah, yeah, yeah. He started hearing like little faint voices in there. Or maybe it was like some sort of high pitched machinery he didn't recognize. But he thought people might be in there. Um, And so he started getting nervous and he shouted at the UFO (laughs) the sentence, okay, Yankee boys, having trouble? Come on out and we'll see what we can do about it. (laughs) Which like Yankee, because like it's in the sky and therefore north. North? I don't understand. (laughs) I don't think that's how north works. (laughs) I don't understand. But he said, okay, Yankee boys, having trouble? Come on out and we'll see what we can do about it. Apparently, he got no response, and so he repeated this in Polish, which I love that- Wait, what? (laughs) Sorry, that was the- What's the Yankee word for- or Polish word for Yankee? That's quite I was going to say, I was like, why are we- I feel like if if Yankee isn't getting a response in English, it's probably not going to get a response in Polish. No, I imagine not, but what do I know? He then also started speaking Russian, and then he also said it again in German. Okay, um, okay, so he's at least trying to cover all his base. It's not just like Polish and English. It's like trying to cover the European ground. It's just running through the languages here. Like what a what a power flex. Because uh, we also d- we didn't even mention he's a polyglot. He's yeah, just well, like, oh yeah, I I tried it in Russian too. Nothing happened. What if he only knows that phrase though? He's like, I just learned <laughs> Yankee, whatever. <laughs> it's like I can say where's the bathroom in like five exactly, languages. The important Does that make stuff. me a polyglot? I don't even know how to say that. I can say like there is the library like something so useless (laughs) that like it's never gonna help me but yeah maybe he just learned that sentence i know like a word in about 15 different languages and therefore i could string them together as the most polyglot sentence of all time and that makes me feel special generous i don't know if if it would be more like a list a a bullet list a bulleted (laughs) list of words perhaps like words in different languages um (laughs) Anyway, he said it in all these languages. I guess the aliens did not speak English, Polish, Russian, or German. And so when he got nothing from them, he started stepping closer to the, uh, the craft. 
and he tried to look through either the the door or the the windows in it. But as he got closer, the lights that were already so bright, they were so bright that he that was hurting his eyes. And so luckily in his like like go bag earlier, <laughs> he had welding goggles. No, he did not. <laughs> this feels like Renata found a UFO because like, <laughs> it feels like I and my purse ended up somewhere and said, oh, finally a use for this rubber duck. <laughs> Me and my purse. Me and okay. my purse and my social security card. Were you like- know what? The only the only time your purse has ever failed me was when I took you to Let's Make a Deal. I and know. Like, I know. And they have that that game in the middle where like you have they basically Wayne Brady calls out a bunch of random items and whoever has them like in was, their purse yeah. wins. And it's like rant like you would never be able to prepare for. It. But he knows that like people have weird shit in their bag yes, at all times. It's time. so smart. You should have won. It, it makes me so mad that the one time I needed you to have a bunch of crap in your bag. You, you know what? Just- it's because you told me to wear a freaking costume. And so I had to wear this horrible slip outfit. And guess who didn't wear a costume? M. And so there was not even a chance we could win anything because M wasn't even in costume. So they put us in like the last row and they put Linda like way up front. So like even if I had the deck of cards and blah, a set of jacks or whatever the hell he wanted. We you could have, have redeemed got- us. I'm just saying. I'm well, that was a lot of pressure on me. Um, I do next actually currently time, have time. a deck of cards in my bag and they're the Krampus car- uh, playing cards because I went to my mom's recently. So there are currently cards, but I'm a Question. little late. Yeah. Because I, so I took you to let's make a deal and then I had to go to work and mm. my mom had tickets to go back. And so you and Zandy went yeah. with my mom and my stepdad <laughs> to let's make a deal without me. Yeah. And so like, but you then knew what was coming. Did you not prepare your purse then? Um. That's, that's a on you, great my friend. question. You know what? That's, that would be on me fully. That's the Christine problem right that's there. That's a me problem. You're completely okay. right. <laughs> it's only it's only convenient when it's really inconvenient for everybody. I don't want it to be convenient for anybody. Then it defeats the purpose. Well, take a page out of the Falcon Lake Incidents book and make sure you keep welding goggles in there from now on. I might. That's It's not a terrible idea if you're leaving the you house. You never know. You yeah. never know. So uh, he got closer to the UFO. It was super bright. And he was like, thank God I've got these goggles. He put them on. He looked in. And he still only just saw lights. He said that he saw beams of light, flashes of light, sequences of light. But he didn't see anything else. Okay. But he didn't get his retinas burned. So good for him. Ayo, that's a win to me. Uh, So Stephen then tried, he was like, okay, I can't see anything inside of this craft. I'm going to look on the exterior and just keep trying to study it the best I can. He said it was made of some sort of steel, smooth all around. He said that it was, quote, highly polished and looked like colored glass with light reflecting off of it. Ooh, like stained glass window. Kind of, yeah. He he also said... Oh, quote, it formed a spectrum with a silver background as the sunlight hit the sides. So it was just like, basically, this entire thing was so wildly bright. He like, it even was like creating its own little background. Like everything else looked fuzzy. Eventually, as he's looking at it, the door closes as him like, I guess they were like, we actually don't want to make contact with you. Yeah, sorry. This is getting weird. You have welding goggles on. It's a lot for us to process. You're showing zero fear. We don't like that. <laughs> yeah, We're trying to intimidate you with our light show and it's not working. Right. Like we thought this would take your eyes out and you're still here. <laughs> we're trying to burn off your retinas. Yeah. And you're you're causing problems. <laughs> we didn't respond to you in four languages. Get it together. Like take the hint. <laughs> 
So uh, he ended up at one point touching the UFO, just just to give it a shot. And he had been wearing gloves while he was doing this. They were like, I guess, like heavy leather gloves or something, I guess, for rock collecting. Oh, okay. And so he went to go touch the UFO and immediately had to take his hand off because it was so hot (gasps) that it burned his gloves oh shit okay wow i'm glad he didn't i'm glad he had gloves on jeez can you imagine like oh my gosh so finally the craft starts moving and it uh starts rotating in one direction and lifting at the same time oh fun it's like one of those like princess fairies that you pull and it spins away oh my favorite (laughs) my favorite I thought those, I mean, you you couldn't get better. I had one when I was a kid and I just thought it was the coolest thing in the world. But then if it accidentally like bounced off something and hit you in the face, it like hurt. you were done for. Oh, it hurt. It was rough. Love those things. Yes, like a little fairy propeller. So yeah. I forget what they're called. I do too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure if we Googled little fairy propeller, we'd get it. <laughs> so uh, the craft is rotating and lifting at the same time. And apparently it shoots out some sort of like, the website said gas, but I don't know what, what type of liquid it was. But it was shooting at some sort of, like, propulsion fluid. And it hit him in his shirt, in his chest. And at the same time, I guess the machine itself was so hot that his shirt literally catches on fire. <gasps> what? So he, I guess because, like, maybe the jet, the engine shot off or something. I don't know anything about cars, but something happened. Right. <laughs> It was so hot or there was an explosion maybe after gas had sprayed on him that his whole shirt caught on fire. Ooh, they need to get that checked out, I think, this UFO so they, aliens. They, oh, not the UFO, but Steven gets it checked well, out. Well, he also, yeah, for sure. So he, they didn't burn his retinas, but they did get him on fire. They didn't burn his so, entire body. Okay, got it. Yeah, <laughs> it's rough. So he ripped off his shirt. He ripped off his like outer shirt and his bottom shirt, like freaking out. And by the time he like like maintains like some semblance of sanity he looks up and the ufo's gone he says that it um he saw it maybe shoot out like 30 feet or so and by the time he looked back up after his shirt it it had vanished so he tries to run to the place that the craft had been sitting to like get a better look at stuff and he realizes that as soon as he gets close to it he immediately feels sick he's like vomiting nonstop. oh shit and he says he has this like massive migraine. His vision was all fucked up. He had chest pains because he had literally just been on fire. Uh, he had cold sweats. Like it was, it was not good. It no. was not looking good. So uh, apparently, they the longer he stayed, the more he got sick. And he said, "quote I knew that something totally unnatural had happened to me." Well, so, yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. One way to put it. <laughs> so he tries leaving the woods, but his compass that he had was going fucking crazy. Ooh, interesting. And eventually he stumbles out of the woods and he finds Constable Solotki. Okay. Um, And Solotki, there's, I feel like there were a couple different versions to what happened here. But Solotki ended up writing in his report that Stephen looked like he was behaving drunk. He was, like, acting super confused and kind of freaked out and and dazed. And was puking. And, and was puking. And he 
to his credit, he never said this guy was drunk. He even said this guy didn't smell like he had been drinking. But for all intents and purposes, I, I could have not thought anything else except he was drunk. Sure. Like, that's the closest semblance of what it could be. He was also saying things like, I just saw something in the woods and it attacked me and it burned me. And it was like, okay, but like, maybe you're drunk. Yeah. So <laughs> every time Constable Salaki tried to approach him... This is kind of where it sounded like the stories differed between Salaki's report and Stephen's report. But Constable Salaki says when he tried to approach him, Stephen would keep his distance. And uh, when Salaki asked if he needed any medical help, Stephen said no. And so eventually Salaki literally left. He was like, he was like, I, I have other duties. I think I've that was tried my best. <laughs> I think his actual quote was something along the lines of like, I'm sorry, but I have other duties I have to like go do. <laughs> like, if you're not going to help me help you, then I'm going to leave. Fair. And so he just left. So what uh, Stephen's report is that he was keeping his distance whenever the constable tried to get near him because he was like, what if I have radiation? What if I'm what if something happened? I don't want to get you sick. Oh, so he, that was very thoughtful. Yeah, so he was, like, backing away because he didn't want to hurt the other person or, like, get him sick. And uh, I guess Salaki just took it the wrong way. But he, I guess Stephen's version might have been that, like, if he had been asked if he needed medical help, he would have said yes. But anyway, he ended up wandering back uh, out of the woods, back to his hotel. He got a bus to Winnipeg, and he was admitted to the hospital. Okay. So he, in the hospital was the... mm, misericordia i don't know how to wow (laughs) misericordia what (sighs) can you spell that m-i-s-e-r miser e miser i okay a friend i'm gonna text i'm gonna text it to you okay it looks like misery maybe i would (laughs) think it's miser like french there you go oh it's one word oh yeah Miseric- uh, maybe a- I think it was misericordia. Misericordia. Okay, that looks. I, I do. I do like that. Almost the word misery is in a hospital's it name. It does actually. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, he got admitted to the hospital. So the nurses saw his burns, and they later ended up saying that, like, okay, the the burns on his chest make sense because something like fire shot out on his shirt. That sure. that tracks. But then <laughs> there was also burns on his stomach that were really fucking weird. So they said. And you, uh, at least from the Unsolved Mysteries reenactment, I'm guessing they worked off of his actual burns. So I I was able to see the reenactment version of these burns, but they were dots in a very <gasps> precise grid, like a very, um, like a very exact grid. Like it didn't look like any of the dots were out of line or anything. It was like a perfect square grid of dots. Um, and that was on his chest? It was on his stomach. Oh, stomach. Oh, also, just a heads up, I googled that word. Um, apparently, it's Italian. Oh. And I hit pronunciation, and it said, misericordia. So oh. <laughs> I don't think that's probably how you say it, because there's also one in Chicago, apparently. So I don't oh. know how you would say it, like, in quote-unquote English, but... I wonder what fact. it means that two hospitals oh, wanted it to means name mercy. themselves that. Oh. Mercy, like Mercy Hospital, which is the hospital Interesting here in Cincinnati. That- Mercy and misery look so similar. It is a little, huh. little questionable, huh? Um. So yeah. So these dots are That's in this like weird, very creepy square grid on his pat on his stomach. And what's even weirder is this this dot grid looks perfectly like the pattern on the UFO that can be <gasps> proven later because Stephen had already sketched everything. 
That's weird. It looks exactly like like even down to like the rows and the columns and the number of dots there are. And that's really freaky. So his son, Stan, who at the time was nine or ten, he actually remembers visiting his dad in the hospital and also confirming what Salaki said that like, oh, yeah, my dad was not acting like himself. He was rough. He was like acting real dazed and confused. Apparently he reeked of sulfur and ozone. And it wasn't just so interesting that. Steven said, oh, this machine smells like sulfur and ozone. And now all of a sudden he smells like it. Maybe because he got sprayed with that stuff. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, his son, Stan, says that he smelled like that for weeks. after, (gasps) Even after showers, it was like it was a part. that's terrible. He said something like it was almost like it was a part of him. Ew. That was really creepy. Uh, Stan also remembers his dad being sick for weeks and being really achy and like losing a lot of weight. He was super tired all the time. And the burns later, I guess they were still looking at these burns after he had already gone home, but he was going back in for checkups. And it was determined after testing that these were not radiation burns, which is good. Yeah. Because the thing, uh, every other sign was like with his behavior and how sick he was getting, it was all pointing to radiation poisoning. (gasps) Okay. And so they were like, okay, maybe these are like burns from radiation or something. They found out that these are not radiation-based, but they were chemical burns. Yikes. So it was chemical burns, but with behavioral side effects of what seemed like radiation poisoning. How strange. Steven, for a while, refused to talk about the UFO or what happened, but eventually he decided that he wanted to protect other people in case someone else saw this or to prevent it. So he ends up going to the Winnipeg Tribune. The article that he uh, got interviewed for was called I Was Burned by a UFO. And the article <laughs> pretty straightforward, yeah. They were like, we're not fucking around here with this. <laughs> like, just know what happened from the start. Um, it's not clickbait, you know, it's right. like just what it is. It's actually the truth, yeah. So the article spread like wildfire, and this is when the media started questioning him all the time, and it was apparently later on he said super overwhelming. At the same time, he also reaches out to the cops to see if he can like make a report, and eventually it's taken so seriously that it is now being looked into by the military. Oh both wow. the US and uh Canadian. The forces. Polish. No, okay. <laughs> the Russians stopped by. <laughs> so The Royal Canadian Mounted Police, a.k.a. the Mounties. Yay! Ugh, a dream. I have a pen that looks like a Mountie. Makes me very happy. It's carved out of wood. Oh my gosh. Um, That's fancy. I got it in the airport when you ditched me and Eva there for three hours. (laughs) Okay, Do you remember that? (laughs) No. (laughs) Do you remember when you abandoned us in another country? I didn't abandon you. I dropped you off at your favorite amusement park. Okay, <laughs> Vancouver okay. Airport. <laughs> I will say, Eva and I really bonded. Like that oh, I was. I know you did. You're that welcome. Was, by the way, <laughs> like the Canadian. What airport was it? Vancouver. Vancouver. That airport, which, by the way, of all airports to get stuck in, that one was literally a mall. Like there yeah. was every single spot. There was like a huge sort of shop through, and it was all the worst. Is that it's fully my fault because we showed up way too late. Because I'm always like. I have like a very tight window of like, this is when we get to the airport. We showed up and I, I forgot it was an inner because it was like a two hour flight and I forgot it was an international flight. And they were like, we <laughs> literally can't take your suitcases. Um, oopsies. I'm it was sorry. a good look. I look, I bought 
So it was the amount of money that I walked into the Vancouver airport with and left <laughs> with are very different numbers. Okay. Also, I made a whole apology page in the scrapbook I gave you of just like a three-page spread of like, this is me abandoning you and I'm sorry. I'll never I'll never live up to, to my apology. Hey, it was, I had a good time. Anyway, <laughs> the Mounties. Here we go. So the RCMP, or the Mounties, they wanted to look into the craft's landing site, and Stephen actually gave them his own sketches to be like, go fucking crazy. <laughs> and there's also, I saw in Unsolved Mysteries that Stephen actually also went back to the site a few times himself, and they were able to find personal items of his still at the scene, including his scorched shirt and glove that he had ripped off oh, because yeah. they were on fire. Um, they were able to see basically they very it's like they were very strategically trying to not say crop circle, but they kept saying like a wide round diameter of oh dead God. vegetation. Like it was like okay, in a cornfield. <laughs> it was literally in a field. I was like, so is this a crop circle? Yes. Um, so anyway, that's what they also found that. And Stan, his son, says that there were two sketches that Stephen gave the Mounties. He said that there was an overhead view and there was a sectional view so you could see the changes in elevation. Whoa. Quote. And he also said uh, that was like pretty typical for his dad. <laughs> he was like, that just it's is very, who it he is. It is a very dad move, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So then he says, uh, so they gave, they gave the sketches to uh, the police. And this is another quote from Stan. Yeah, yeah. He even put in a compass reference on his notes showing where compass north, magnetic north was uh, right on the piece of paper. And he handed it to them. He said, this is all I remember. They went out there with this thing in their hand and a regular map, a topographic map. Uh, They couldn't find the spot. But when they actually did find it, every single thing matched up. (gasps) So it was like he told the story, gave everything he had to the police, and they were able to completely confirm like whatever he... They can confirm that there was a UFO there, but they confirmed all the remnants of, like, something weird happened here. So, again, the personal items they found were um, his scorched shirt and his glove, and apparently he had left some pieces of his kit there. And very quickly, the Air Force, the Canadian Army, researchers from different universities, doctors, uh, the Atomic Energy Department of Canada, uh, and then in America, they have the, or in the U.S., they have the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization, or APRO. All of them got involved with this case. And investigators, like I said, also were able to confirm that there was at least a crop circle or dead vegetation diameter uh, around Stephen's story. Meanwhile, as they're investigating, every three months, and I think this was like for the rest of time, every three months, Stephen's burns flare up. No. Like they're brand new wounds. And he gets sick all over again. What a nightmare vomiting i don't know if it was every three months in the beginning and then it slowly kind of faded into not as often but it sounded from the notes like steven had to deal with this for the rest of his life terrible one of the people in the unsolved mysteries who had spoken with steven said there have been times where like he'll let you even like touch through his shirt and you can feel like the subcutaneous (gasps) scarring of his of the dot pattern which he calls his buttons ew (laughs) Like, oh, oh dad so why that's such a dad thing why of like let me weird? give let me give this really already odd thing a really odd name <laughs> but i guess when you touch it he goes beep 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 boop. okay boop. but if he does that's precious are you kidding I know, me? it like, is very adorable boop, 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 boop. <laughs> um 
Anyway, also, like, I would probably be that person, too, to, like, make light of, like, a really oh, stark situation. It's like, no, yeah, I'm, I'm exactly. just examining your burns, sir. You're in the hospital. Or, like, I would make someone press the button and be like, you pressed the wrong one. You got to keep going. Like, something stupid. Wrong number. Yeah. So, anyway, he calls them his buttons, and you can, like, for sure still feel the scarring there. <laughs> a year after the event, when Steven went back to the site, he was able to still, a year later, dig up radioactive molten rock from the ground. <gasps> So the so the items that they had found in previous investigations on uh, on the land had been sent to analysis labs and they could not be explained even after going through all this analysis but they were highly radioactive and that includes the soil and parts of the rock that the UFO apparently landed on I guess they had like literally chipped into this rock and they were able to find fragments of metal that had been melted into the rock Whoa. as if like the UFO was so hot that it was melting the like the earth's rock oh, Jesus and so they were able to test those and they were radioactive. So anyway, he came back a year later and they were still finding things in the ground that were radioactive. That's freaky. Okay. So a lot of people, though, use this as a point of debate of like, how come after all of these like nonstop investigations for a year, nobody found that? Like, kept, how come there were still pieces left and no one like dug everything up? That ends up being like an argument that this is all a hoax that like maybe things were still being planted a year later. Oh, I see. I see. I see. So, or maybe it was just such expansive radiation. Okay. That they couldn't find them all. Bingo. Just saying. I don't know. I also just want to believe that it's all real a thousand percent. So, but apparently, uh, yeah, they were still, there was one item that looked like a, a weird, like metal welded shape. It like ended up being in like the shape of a W. So it was weird that like the metal had bent in a certain (gasps) way or like it wouldn't have bent that way when sitting on the rock. So it must have come bent, but then why would they need it? So then it became all these like theories of like why this piece of metal even existed, why it was, why it was radioactive. Why didn't anyone find it for a year when it was like a big enough piece that a metal detector would have gotten it. Apparently they, when they did test it, one of the weird things about this piece of metal was that it was nearly a hundred percent pure silver. Oh. And there was something sticky on it, which they found out was like some sort of pitch blend ore, which had combinations of radium and uranium in it. <gasps> I was thinking we were so, going maple syrup route, but I like that ore too. I'll <laughs> I'll take it. Look, I'm down with like if it had maple syrup on it, I would want to take it home for myself. You're like out on like a gem (laughs) hunt and you find like a piece of silver covered in syrup. Uh, I can say, well, this has almost nothing to do with it, but my mind immediately went to when I lived in Boston. I went on like a maple tree tapping excursion. And I thought I, it was a blast. Uh, This has nothing to do with aliens at this point, but you said maple syrup enough times that I now feel like I I got permission to talk about it. Yeah, I opened the the floodgates, for lack of a better word. Anyway, if no one's done that before, it was insane. And also, it was one of the first times I ever did anything alone by myself. Like, it was like a a me date. And I was like, wow, I'm so fun to be with. Okay, anyway. (laughs) And then you never hung out with anyone ever again because you found your best friend and it was yourself. (laughs) Got it. <laughs> and then I brought home some maple syrup that I tapped by myself. No, that's pretty so, cool. It was pretty swanky. I love so, that. La, 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 la. Or pl- plutonium oh, or something. That's Back to the Future, but yes. So <laughs> <Okay>. close enough. <laughs> it had it had radium and uranium in it on top of already being radioactive, and it was nearly a hundred percent silver. It was just very weird. That and is why weird. did it take a year for anyone to find it? Let alone the person who is like the 
near abductee like why yeah. is he fine again and not the military oh, he found so, it he found yeah, it when he went out odd, with him. i guess so we don't know what happened maybe it was just like something that's undetectable by our machines and because he has a connection with the ufo they brought him to it i mean it could be anything so maybe it was too far away nobody i mean who knows people miss stuff i don't know who knows who knows so apparently, uh, like I said, Steven dealt with random flare-ups and also random blackouts after mm. this. I, I'm guessing for the rest of time because there didn't seem to be a, a time limit on that. He ended up dying in 1999. He often regrets telling his story because the media and general criticism was so incessant. And it says that it like just completely like, quote, flipped their lives. That always makes down. me sad. Yeah. I, I think he was just like... People were telling him that they didn't believe like him. Life they were questioning was his sanity. Beforehand. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I saw in one reference that, like, the son Stan, like, got bullied for it. Aww. So, anyway. His name is Stan. Life's hard enough for a nine-year-old named Stan, <laughs> I would imagine. Yeah. What is a South Park? So, <laughs> he did say that he, he originally, at the very beginning, totally stuck by, like, I need to tell people because it could protect them in case something like this happens to them. And Steven, Stan, and this guy I have not mentioned at all yet, but his name is Chris Ratowski, who is one of Stan's childhood friends. But he ended up growing up to be, like, Canada's, like, primo UFO expert. (gasps) Wow. So, like, I think maybe, like, this story with Mm -hmm. Steven, like, he watched his own friend's dad go through this. So maybe that's what, like, jogged his fascination. But he ends up becoming, like, the guy for UFOs in Canada. So... Steven, Stan, and Chris, um, they all agreed to go on Unsolved Mysteries uh, in the 90s uh, because they were hoping to find other witnesses to corroborate the case. So that was, they were thinking like maybe they would get to meet other people that they were being interviewed. But they never found anybody else to corroborate the story as accurately as they wanted. But they did say out of all the outlets to cover the case, Unsolved Mysteries is hands down the best coverage of the story. Um, Stan actually is quoted saying they did a very credible job of recreating the incident. They interviewed my dad, me, Chris, and they did a balanced story that had nothing but facts, very little speculation, and it turned out to be the best piece. This was in 1992 when it first aired. So you can see how many years had passed from 1967 before we had a decent, well-treated, well-written story. Love that. Love that. And also, like, yeah, that does make it pretty obvious of like from 67 to 92 it took that long for someone to like really flush out like what the story was yeah about. and so. like do it justice wow so if you want to go watch that it's season five episode I eight do and it was really quick there they were super quick stories there are two books that have been written about this uh one is george dudding's the falcon lake ufo encounter and another that was co-written by Chris Rutowski and Stan. Mm. So I think this came out in 2017. And at this point, Stephen has not been with us for like almost 20 years. Mm. So they wrote it themselves in honor of him. It was called When They Appeared, Falcon Lake 1967, The Inside Story of a Close Encounter. <gasps> when They Appeared. And they wrote it for the incident's 50th anniversary. Cool. So there's also, apparently Stephen also wrote his own like 40 page manuscripts and it's called My Encounter with the UFO. Um, He wrote that, I I think the same year that everything happened to him. But so I said, Chris and Stan, they wrote their book for the 50th anniversary. 
Also for the 50th anniversary, Canada came out with a glow-in-the-dark collectible coin with a UFO on it. It cost $20 at the time. There's only about 4,000 in circulation, and it currently is worth up to $1,500. What? So. That is so cool. So there's only 4,000. If you happen to be someone who has stumbled upon this in your closet or something, hold on to that. Yeah, seriously. Chris himself, who, again, I'm, like, he has been on... He has written a bunch of books. He's like a the UFOologist of Canada. He says we won't he won't say for sure whether or not it's a UFO, but quote, if it was a hoax, then it would be a hoax to rival some of the greatest hoaxes ever perpetrated anywhere. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. Stan, Stan calls the Falcon Lake incident, quote, probably the most documented and investigated UFO case in North America. And to back that, Chris even says that it's a bigger case than Roswell, which is interesting that I found this story right after I just yes, covered Roswell. Did. So it's fresh in everyone's mind that there was, in 20 years before this encounter in 1947, there was a crash. The military, like, scooped it all up and tried to cover it up. But this is what Chris says about how it's bigger than the Roswell case. And this is a very long quote, but this is the last thing I'm going to say. Um, And again, I got this from the transcript from that podcast, uh, UFOs at LAC or UFOs at LAC. So shout out to them. Uh, Okay. It's bigger than the Roswell case. Chris says, quote, here we have an incident where not only was a witness physically injured and the injuries were examined by medical doctors, but upon investigation, the case discovered physical evidence in the form of soil uh, and the site itself had been located. The radiation at the site was verified. And then later, certainly after the fact, the unusual silver pieces that are also radioactive were discovered. We have physical evidence in terms of metals and soil. We have physiological evidence in terms of what happened to Mr. Mikulak. Uh, it's a very strange case because we have so much documented evidence. There's been many pages on the case that are physically kept in the National Archives from the RCMP and the RCAF, but also we have the United States Air Force's Colorado investigation files. In addition to civilian research files, plus correspondence between physicians in the United States and Canada on Mr. Mikulak, we have the Mayo Clinic files because Mr. Mikulak mm. went down to the Mayo Clinic to be tested for a better understanding of what had befallen That's him. That's cool. Plus, many other documents that are incidental. Overall, we have huge amounts of documents, which the Roswell case certainly doesn't have. In fact, the United States government denies anything happened, but the Hmm. Canadian government verifies that something very (gasps) unusual happened to Stephen Mikulak. Leave it to Canada. The Canadian government. Well, leave it to Canada because I found out during this that Canada, like, has basically all of their UFO files as public access. (gasps) Like, all any documentation they even said like yeah canada's much better than the u.s at this like after like like the u.s tries to keep everything so quiet but if there's like ufo files and like government documents about ufo files canada just has like all this free access so <gasps> how cool fun though. fact fun fact another reason why i love canada and that's the story of the falcon lake incident wow that's pretty pretty dope that's pretty yeah. dope. i love that this one didn't have a lot of like reasoning why it would be fake you know what i mean i feel like a lot of times we get like a full like here's a backstory on why he could be making it all up but there wasn't much there today to this i mean to this day it's still considered an unsolved mystery wow so they they like the government has said it's unexplained but they at least admit that like yo something weirds up yeah yeah that's huge i love that anyway um very good job (laughs) ta-da Yeah, the talent, the talent show. <laughs> 
This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Everyone knows the holidays can take a toll on your bank account. If you're looking for creative ways to increase revenue, then get started with Squarespace's new feature, Squarespace Courses. Squarespace has the tools you need to create and sell your own online course. Start with a professional layout that fits your brand, upload video lessons to teach techniques and skills, and tailor your course with the powerful built-in Fluid Engine Editor. With Squarespace Courses, you can create engaging content your audience will love, then simply add a paywall and set the price. Plus, you can charge a one-time fee or sell subscriptions. Turn your creativity into income with Squarespace Courses. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to www.squarespace.com slash drink to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. By now, you've probably heard about Burrow, a new kind of furniture company known for timeless designs, durable materials, and details that make life in your space easier. Last year, they brought their expertise outside with the launch of their outdoor line, which I love, and now they're adding more must-have pieces to the collection. For example, Dunes offers seating, dining, and lounger options, while Scout is a new folding chair upholstered in a chic woven fabric. And I think I'm going to get two of those for the balcony. Blaze and I love to sit out there in the evenings after Leona goes to bed. And I love the idea of having a good-looking but also extremely useful and comfy place to sit outside. Made of durable materials made for all seasons, weather-resistant teak, stainless alloy, and quick-dry stain-resistant cushions with easy assembly and disassembly. This is the perfect thing for your outdoor space. They also just launched a new standing desk co-pilot with adjustable height, a durable scratch resistant body with built-in storage to make working at home easier than ever. I'm in the market for a new desk. Um, so this is definitely going to be my next bookmark. And of course, there's Burroughs legacy seating collections like the Nomad and Range now available in new colors. And M and I, that's like the only piece of furniture I think we actually share is our Burrow sofa in the podcast department. Love that thing. And that's why we drink listeners can get 15% off their first order at burrow.com slash drink. That's burrow, B-U-R-R-O-W.com slash drink for 15% off. Burrow.com slash drink. Okay. How was your pee? Did you have a good pee? It was excellent. I'm so glad you asked. Thank you so much. You'll be receiving my postcard in the mail pretty soon. Kind of upset we didn't FaceTime while you made peeps, but you know we did, but like from the other room, like here on Zoom. Oh, I see. I see. I see. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. I'm picking up what you're throwing down. I already had you on call, so. (laughs) All right. Tell me a tale. Bum me the fuck out. Let's go. This is a good one. Um, They're all good ones, if I do say so myself. But this one is about the killing dentist. (gasps) Oh, wait a minute. I love this. Okay, but you know what I mean. Like, I don't love that it happens, but compared to, you know. It's what I mean when I I say it's a good one. It's not a good one. uh Like, it's not a good thing that it happened, obviously, but it's It's just like, it's still bad, but like, I'm not going to like be wildly depressed by the end like I was with some of the more graphic ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like kind of an older story, which always helps to kind of separate. It's Uh it's really fucked up. Don't get me wrong. Um, But maybe less... um, in your face than usual uh-huh. so we'll, gotcha. we'll see we'll see you you can be the judge i don't know sure um, i'm I'll so jaded at this point by these stories they don't really phase me as much as they used to you um, think i would be jaded but every time i'm just know. like wow what on earth did i walk myself into i guess i was always ago? jaded because from day one i was telling these <laughs> stories that like i was really fascinated by so i don't think i ever 
I don't know. I've always, it's always been the same level of shock and awe. I mean, look, I'm always, I, I'm jaded at this point to like every time I see that there's a woman in red or some bullshit, I'm like, <laughs> I, I got to talk about this again. She's oh my back. God. Oh my God. She needs so much attention. This woman in red. <gasps> what if the like plot twist, it's actually the same woman in red at every I'm single location on like, earth. Maybe she just needs a ton of validation. And I mean, She's we're giving Gemini, it to her. To and it's fair. okay. Yeah, yeah, we get it. it that's her prerogative. We show you know? up everywhere wearing the same clothes usually. So like, it's pretty Black shirt. Yeah. No pants. Logo I mean, shirt I got for free of our podcast. Yeah. Pretty <laughs> standard. No pants. Exactly. What if the ghost with no pants? That's going to be like the 21st century ghost, like the, the quarantine ghost. We're still waiting on that one because I haven't died yet. But afterwards, like everyone's going to be seeing the pantsless ghost. Don't pantsless ghost. 100%. And every time you'll be scared because I'm a, I'm a ghost, but also I'll be scared because I'll have to like cover myself and be like, oh my God, I'm not wearing not pants. Again. And then, and then we're both scared and it becomes a thing. So. It's like a Scooby-Doo, like, ah, ah. Love it. You got it. You got it. Well, here you go. Uh, this is The Killing Dentist. And there's apparently a horror film called The Dentist, as if I've ever seen it. <laughs> Not going to happen. Um, <laughs> I don't have plans to. Have you? I haven't seen The Dentist, but I will say, and I just mentioned this with The Tooth Fairy, that there's a scary movie called Darkness Falls, and it's about The Tooth yeah, Fairy. That's and weird. And that was a classic in my house growing up. And then also, not a dentist, but a different medical profession. There's my favorite cheesy 80s uh, horror movie, that like a horror movie that's so bad that you can only watch it to laugh at, is Dr. Giggles. <gasps> What's That's a that? good one. It's literally like the dumbest thing I've ever seen. So sorry if you were a part of making Dr. Giggles, but you knew what you were doing when you, when you, you got knew, on you that You know set. what you've done. It's literally a guy who, it's a crazed guy who pretends he's a doctor and he breaks into your house and the whole time he's killing you, he's like giggling Ew, incessantly. Uh, but it's like, it's like, I think it's meant to be like a really bad over the horror top. movie yeah yeah like no one's taking it seriously no one's going into this movie being like i'm gonna be scared i'm gonna watch know? it and be horrified and call you crying so just we we up. could definitely watch dr giggles together and you would be fine let's be really okay because you made me watch that one horrible movie what was that okay that was the exact opposite that scared me end. so much what was that called that sinister <laughs> yeah sinister i that was That's, not good for me that one is like why would you do in, that to me i don't know okay i don't know well, fun fact, uh, if you have a fear of the dentist, it's pretty damn common. It's called dentophobia hmm. or odontophobia sometimes. And according to WebMD, dental phobia is a more serious condition than anxiety or more common than anxiety, huh. uh, more widespread than anxiety. So. Sounds like a type of anxiety. <laughs> it sounds like... certainly does to me. Yeah, I would agree. I, I, I would argue maybe they're hand in hand, but I guess not. If some people don't have anxiety but have a fear of the dentist, I don't know. Blows my mind. I feel like they're just so meant to be. Yeah, they're you know? they're holding hands in my mind, but whatever. Star-crossed lovers. Okay. Aww. Well. So this is the story of Glennon Edward Engelman. He is known as the Killing Dentist. He was born in 1927 and was raised in St. Louis by a middle-class family. His father was originally a U.S. Air Force member, but now worked on the railroad, and his mother worked at home raising Glennon and his three older siblings. He was the youngest. Uh, known to be an average student at school, he was pretty unremarkable for lack of a better term nobody thought he was, uh, yeah i know <laughs> nobody thought he was like unusual or acted strange or had any sort of like compulsions or ac actions that were out of the ordinary um, and once he finished high school he served in the u.s army air corps during world war ii 
Um, and according to uh, one source called Rander.com, he joins Timothy McVeigh, Jeffrey Dahmer, son of Sam, a.k.a. David Berkowitz, and Green River Killer, a.k.a. Gary Ridgway, as some of the famous murderers who Whoa. served in the U.S. military. So, fun fact. There's that is a, a fun fact. It's not like a, it's not a happy fun. fact, but it's a fun fact. Yeah, yeah. It's, in our, it's our version of a fun fact. Yeah. I love it. So when returning after service, Engelman spent his time giving back to the neighborhood. He helped treat and look after ill people in the community because out of the kindness of his heart, he wanted to care for those who needed the help and needed the medical service. Yeah. The community really thought, like, this is a good guy. He you Say less. We get it. He's, he's a pillar a pi- of the community. Uh-huh. <laughs> From pillar to killer. He's a pillar. He's a pillar. We know how this goes. Um, so with the help of the GI Bill, he was able to enroll at Washington University of St. Louis School of Dentistry um, and start his career as a dentist. I I assume most of us in the U.S. know about the GI Bill. I don't know if that's a common thing or if that was just something I learned in like AP U.S. history. I uh, feel like that's a common thing. Yeah, is it? yeah, I think so, at least in the U.S. But if you're not in the U.S. or you don't totally know, um, it's basically... A post-World War II kind of government adjustment uh, from 1944 that helped service people um, gain access to college education um, and other options, benefits like that. And that was mostly tuition-free, which I did not know this. As a result, almost 49% of college admissions in 1947 were veterans. Almost 50%. I'm not surprised by that. Yeah, 49%. My grandpa, he did that. I think both of them did that. They went to college with the GI Bill afterwards. They were like, oh, yeah. well, I got this check I after mean- <laughs> all my hard work. I might as well go to college because I got I got to find another way to do? support my family. Exactly. So. Exactly. So that's kind of what happened here. Engelman went to dentistry school. Um, and around this time at college, he met Edna Ruth Ball. And uh, they fell in love, got married in 1953 in Clayton, Missouri. Engelman was 26. Edna was 19. They, in two years, not only did Engelman graduate from Washington University, he also divorced Edna for unknown reasons, but they were still amicable. Um, and then he married a woman named Ida G. Van Hest on April 20th, 1956. And Ooh. at this point, he was 29, she was 25. So, Ida, so Edna is the first wife. Um, and Ida. And Ida is the second wife. So, that's, it's E-D-A. So, it's spelled the same without an N. The N. Huh. Yep. Okay. So from Edna to Ida, uh, these are his two wives so far. So far. And uh, between him graduating and his first known murder, it is reported by therichest.com that Engelman first attempted to satiate his thirst for taking innocent lives by killing animals. <gasps> well, I can't say I'm surprised, I but I don't like it anyway. But you know what is weird is it it wasn't until he was an adult. I feel like a lot of times we hear about yeah. this as a child, like antisocial, like tendencies that's a great point that usually it's like one of the first signs when the kid doesn't even really know what they're doing yet or right doesn't know what they're doing yet you know yeah 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 exactly so i I will say to be fair um apparently he was obsessed with hunting and so he would go hunting and um his friends and family were like he was like really into hunting um and he would keep parts of the animals as like his trophies i mean to be fair i'm i to to be clear, I'm not into hunting for obvious reasons. No? Why? I know. It's surprising to a lot of you. Um, with all my gun collection, as you can see behind me. Uh, <laughs> Squidward. <laughs> my crocheted Squidward. <laughs> yeah. Um, you but, do have a bunch of animals behind you, though, on that wallpaper that could maybe get hunted by someone like that. That's him. right. Some trophy hunting. A little a- yeah. lion here, a cheetah there. Yikes. Um, but, like... 
as much as I'm not a fan of hunting, I do recognize in my mind that there's a difference between going hunting for sport and going hunting to murder animals. Like this is fun for me to kill them. Like I feel like there's right. a difference there. There's there's a line that maybe some people consider a gray space, but yeah. I would say there still is the line. Agreed. Agreed. So that's kind of where I stand because I was like, oh, God, hurting animals. And then it was like he went hunting. And I was like, well, a lot of people go hunting. But I guess the difference is that he went hunting in order to hurt the animals, which is like, yikes. Uh, he, like he went in with an enjoyment of the pain that yeah. will, and the suffering that will come from hurting the animals. Precisely. At least according to his friends and family, which seems like a little bit. No, no, no. No, thank you. Um, I'm not, yeah. not super on board with that. Because uh, I feel like if you say to someone, oh, I don't like hunting because you're killing animals, they're not like, well, it's not about killing. Like, I feel like they're not like, but it's they, so they fun. Come up with, or they'll at least say like, oh, we try to do it as humanely yeah. as as humanely as you can by hunting an animal. <laughs> yeah, right. But, like, okay. For luck, yeah. But yeah, they're like, we're, we're trying to like shoot it in the head once right, so it doesn't like, feel pain. It's not like because we want to watch it die. Like it, I feel like that's right, usually right. not the angle people go with. So yeah. I can understand the difference here, basically. And then uh, it wasn't long before he graduated from animals to people anyway. So like we were bound to get there. Uh, yeah. He got a taste for human murder on December 17th, 1958. He was now 31 and he shot. Okay, so <laughs> he shot someone. Do you remember Edna, his first wife? her no he shot her new husband <gasps> i thought they were amicable they like that, were that's problematic there's i mean it's that's really awful but also like that makes me think there was some more underlying drama there than we were well i'll tell you on. do you want to know <gasps> the backstory the drums yes obviously. i have some, some tea for you it's, i know it's tea time wednesday oh. but i'll give you some tea here that's um, okay so her husband, James Bullock, was a clerk for the Union Electric Company of Missouri and was a part-time student. And he was shot near the St. Louis Art Museum with a twenty-two caliber gun on his way to attend a night class. Aww. I know. And um, Edna and James Stanley Bullock had only been married for five and a half months when he was murdered. So it was a very new marriage. However, it wasn't, as you probably imagine, as we both imagined, the case of a jealous ex-husband. In fact, Edna had given Engelman consent to kill James in order what? for them to collect on his life insurance together. Oh, so they were amicable. amicable. They were amicable for a farther extent than we thought. <laughs> wow. I, for a second, I was like, oh, they weren't as friendly as you said. And now they're like exactly. so friendly. It like turns wow. it on its head. It's like. Oh, they were really friendly, like too friendly, one might say. Wow. Can you imagine getting along that well with your ex? Yeah, no, <laughs> please. No, I Holy barely have crap. a conversing relationship, let alone like, let's plot murders of our loved ones together. I couldn't even, couldn't even imagine. No. Oh. So uh, hmm. I, I know that saying she gave him consent to kill him is quite a weird way to use the word consent. It's not quite a phrase. Yeah, it's not quite, quite what I mean. Consent. But she was like down with it yeah she like, was she on was... board right yeah yeah, mm -hmm. yeah yeah she wasn't saying no she wasn't making sure it wouldn't happen she was on the wrong side of history yeah precisely great way to put it <laughs> so edna collected sixty-four thousand from james's life insurance which today would be six hundred thousand dollars so more than that um over six hundred thousand dollars so a lot 
At the time, Engelman wasn't considered a suspect for two reasons. First, he allegedly had an alibi. And second, according to the podcast Medical Murders, which is a great podcast show, uh, quote, the St. Louis police had been thrown off by the fact that the alley where James was murdered was a known meeting spot for gay men. So they assumed Ooh. Bullock had been having an affair and was murdered by his lover or an angry bigot. Oh. This theory dominated the investigation, bringing detectives to a dead end rather quickly, which was lucky for Engelman because he didn't even get eyed as a suspect wow which is like a, it's another issue of like it, people see like oh a, a relationship and some sort of a lgbt relationship it must have been a spurned lover it's like okay mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. you're just painting yourself into a corner and it's not it has nothing to even do with that ultimately but <laughs> right whatever but so, good guess but good guess good try <laughs> i guess yeah. yeah he's just at the art museum on his way to a class but okay i know so Edna handed Engelman $16,000 of the life insurance payment, and then he decided to use that money to create a drag racing drag strip business, not the oh. like fun, cool kind that we know of today. I was like, that sounds pretty gay. Yeah. <laughs> like, not the play on words fun kind, but like the kind my stepdad likes, the like drag Yikes. racing, you know, cars, whatever. I don't yeah, really yeah, yeah. get it. But so he decided to create this drag st strip slash drag racing business. And he put the $16,000 toward that. And he was like set for a while because he had his drag racing business. He had dentistry. He was married to Ida. And his murder, his next murder didn't happen for five years. So he seemed content for a while. So he like up until that point, I don't know if you know this information. I feel like if you did, you would have already said it. But so for the five years in between his first and second kill, do you think he was like satiated by it like do you think like those five years he like wasn't thinking about killing anyone and he had like gotten it out of his system or had he been plotting for five years um i don't think he was plotting because when he gets to the next murder it's it seems very much like i feel like every murder like to correct me if i'm wrong when you hear it but it feels like every murder he kind of plans on the fly or like it doesn't seem like the most <laughs> well-thought-out-winded, like, five-year plan. Um, I guess it also feels, at least the the first murder, it feels like there was, like, a monetary reward yes. or, like, a, something that came from it to make it worth it. And so, ultimately, he does say it was for money, and that's debated, and I'll tell you why later, but he does... His quote-unquote excuse ultimately is, I did it for financial reasons. I did all my murders for financial reasons. Whoa. Which is, like... Okay, I guess. Uh, not okay. I'm saying like, which is yeah. which is like, hmm, you can argue that, but... It's like, I don't believe you. I don't totally believe you. <laughs> that seems like a little bit ridiculous um, based on some of these stories. But yeah, so I, I don't know if he was content or maybe... You know how sometimes with these serial killers, it's just like the, the time between gets shorter and shorter and shorter. Like maybe yeah. it was just one of those where he was like, wow, I killed someone because it was his first murder. And then like... As that wore off, mm -hmm. he finally got yeah. into another and it kind of got shorter intervals. Maybe that's what it was. Um, so I'm not totally sure. But it was five okay. years of general peace in his household. Okay. So for what it's worth. Sure. Um, so on September 26th, 1963. All right. I'm sorry. I have to say this now. I told myself I would say it the next time I said the, the month of. Can you say that? What's the month after August? September. Can you say it again? No. Why? <laughs> I can't say it right. You say it. September. 
With a Z? What in the German? Is that what? Is that what I do? Everybody, like not everybody, but a few people over the years of the podcast have said like, I love the way Christine says September. And I'm like, what do I say weird about it? Oh, because you say it with a Z. You go like, like you're like September. September. <laughs> it's September. Okay. Well, this is where I admit that I'm dreading if my baby's born in September because I don't know how to say oh, it. No. So I'm gonna have to like learn the proper pronunciation, and I feel like I've been trying to tweak it as I go. To be fair, I never noticed it until this moment when you're really me. okay. Because, but uh, but also like I am so comfortable in drawls and yeah, like sure. in, like combining words, and so if you're saying you know a word that ended in s and then goes into September, yeah. it it could very easily just be like excused as like, oh, it was just kind of connecting the words. Wow. See, but, it just never occurred to me. But now that you're saying it by itself, it is odd. It's been something <laughs> I'm so weirdly self-conscious about for like a couple years now because people tend to, I'm not meanly, but they're like, oh, it's so funny. How how cute Christine says it in such a German way. And I'm like, what do I say? But then I realized like, because in German it is September. So it's like September. Oh. I'm clearly well, saying I it like the German can way. Can take the girl out of Germany. <laughs> well, Oh, oh my goodness! Well, I don't say all the other ones German. That would be quite uh, an adventure for us. But um. the, my favorite word that you ever say could be is "stroll, Peter," and I'll I'll never know. How, <laughs> it makes me so happy because it's it's something in the language where my mouth never learned how to make that sound, and so I'm just jealous you can pronounce it that way, and I can't get it. <laughs> how do you say it? Strove Peter. Yeah. Yeah. What is that Strove sound? Strove. It's the R. The Strove. Strove. <laughs> I don't want to embarrass the Germans. I don't want to embarrass myself. I don't need to say it. Yeah, the Germans are so embarrassed. They don't want to embarrass their Germans. They're definitely going to get cringy. It's definitely cringy if I keep going and, like, I know I'm only going to fail. But that sound is just, like, beyond capability. I love how I am, like, just... bitching about myself and you like to build me back up i that makes me very happy no you look you make some weird sounds but you also make some sounds <laughs> i can't make so i i guess that it's a win so to be clear it's september this is so sure. embarrassing okay I, I, i'm i'm just wondering like have you not ever seen it written out like it's yeah, definitely september. with an, well okay <laughs> like you're 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 acting mind blown that it sounds am, like there's an s I just, up the front i can't it just I don't know. I'm like 30. I don't know. It just never really hit me until recently. And then when people ask like, oh, when's the baby going to be born? I keep saying like, oh, either because it's October 1st is a due date. So I'm like, oh, either in October or September. And like, I just the more I say it, the more I'm like, people do tend to comment. It definitely sounds like you're saying the first half of zipper, like September. September. Zipper, zipper recruiter, <laughs> September. Okay. It's, actually, it's it's sep recruiter. Do you mind? Okay. <laughs> Maybe that'll help your issue of saying zipper cooter by accident. Okay, that's still the most embarrassing thing. <laughs> okay, so I'll practice it just in case. Because if the baby is born in September, then I'm gonna have to like learn how to say the month. I think properly. You're- Poor kid is just at such a disadvantage in so many ways. <laughs> yeah, such a disadvantage that they can be raised bilingual. It really sucks for them. Okay. <laughs> okay. Oh. On September 26, 1963, the same year that Engelman's drag strip opened, mm-hmm. he struck again. So maybe this is his celebration moment. He either murdered, depending on the source, his business partner or his employee, but somebody who worked oh. with him. So, okay. Eric Fry, who was a guy involved in the dragster business, was struck on the head with a rock, pushed <gasps> down a well, 
and then blown up with dynamite. Holy fuck. <laughs> like, okay. literally Acme cartoon level like, shit. Meet me. Like, like anvil. Like, yeah, like an Acme anvil falling okay, onto so a well. Wait. Rock on the head fell into a well blown up with dynamite. Yeah, correct. That literally is a, like a Hannah, I was going to say Hannah Barbera. Hannah. I say Barbera, but again, I say September. So who the fuck knows what it is? It literally sounds like something that you would see like in the Flintstones. 100%. I can't believe I mean, like also not to discredit the fact that somebody literally was murdered, but like, no, I like, I think about how I'm going to die one day, but, and I have like some guesses on like how I'm going to go. That's not one of them. Like, Yeah, you wouldn't think, huh? Like you wouldn't plan for that, at least uh, most people. And so I'm sure he didn't, but get get ready. His death was ruled as accidental <laughs> by authorities. What? Why? <laughs> because animators drew it or something? <laughs> like it's a cartoon and he survived? No, <laughs> I don't know. Because here's the... Like, that little, makes no sense. It makes no sense. And I have a little timeline here. Um, this was compiled by Jessica Silver, Jen Varley, and Kirby Wellsko for Radford University. Oh, what up? I know. I thought that had a connection to you somehow. Yes. <laughs> Eric Fry's wife, Sandy, who was a friend of Engelman's, donated the life insurance money to Engelman's drag strip. So we have another pattern here where the wife uh-huh. is like, oh, no, my husband, Eric Fry, died accidentally by getting pushed into a well filled with dynamite. Oops. Here's the money, Mr. Engelman, who owns the drag strip where Eric worked. Jeez. So what the hell, right? Well, it turns out that Sandy isn't just Engelman's friend. Uh, she is Engelman's wife, Ida's Lover. niece. Oh. and lover and his lover <gasps> oh okay so i was right <laughs> you okay. were right but it's also wow. his niece-in-law so it's his niece-in-law and his lover so like yuck so he's like just doing favors for all these women that he's ha- hooked up with at some point well it's time. not even favors because it ultimately is his, his idea. money yeah and, or he and he's also getting money he's out of profiting it. but, but it, so it, it's hand in hand with these women yeah so it seems like his if he had an MO, the people he, like, scopes out are people related to him that he could, like, maybe get close to? Is that Yeah, fair to say? that seems fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It always seems to be connected to either a family member, in-law, business partner, lover, like somebody. Like just access- accessible people accessible. that have some sort of money. Exactly, exactly. Yes, that's 100% right. Huh. So <sighs> Sandy is... The woman he's sleeping with, also his niece-in-law. So basically what happened was the drag strip had begun costing more than Engelman had anticipated and he needed more money to funnel into the business. So he turned to Sandy and encouraged her to strike up a relationship with one of the workers at the drag strip, Eric Fry. So he uh-huh. even orchestrated their whole relationship. So so he's really going into this with intent. Completely. And he's like created from step one. Like it's yeah. all a lie. Like, like start- matchmaking for his own kill. 100%. So he's like, why Oof. don't you lure this guy, Eric, into your, you know, use your wiles and get him <laughs> to marry you. Um, show an ankle. Show. Oh, well, that's pretty far. Em. I think that's pretty extreme. I wouldn't go that sorry, far. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I know sorry, it's sorry. a little inappropriate for a show, but uh, <laughs> yeah. So he says, Sandy, why don't you strike up a relationship, get him to marry you, and then we can inherit money from his death. So easy. Sandy and Eric get married. Small potatoes. Get him to marry you. Get him to marry you. Guess what? September of 1962, they get married. Check. Next stage, <laughs> make it look like he accidentally died. Okay, push him in a well and blow him up with dynamite. Check. Uh, wow. Apparently it worked. 
He's a very lucky oh dude. Um, and that coupled with the fact that Sandy quickly had her husband cremated, uh, stopped further questions from authorities. And three months later, Sandy was $25,000 richer. And then she donated 16000 of that to the drag strip business to keep it alive. Wow. And also the like... When I think so, the first person that they killed was like worth like six hundred thousand in today's mm-hmm. world. And what was so you said sixteen grand? This person was worth sixteen grand to him specifically. Like when they split it, he got sixteen. Grand. Yes, is that sixteen grand in today's money? No, that's um, sixteen grand. Let me see what that was in nineteen sixty three. So I was gonna say like all of that work for like sixteen see, grand. But is that's exactly not why people it. say, "Oh, you killed them for money." Like it doesn't really add up because yeah, it doesn't ultimately seem worth like, it. Like six hundred thousand dollars isn't even a million dollars. I couldn't kill someone for no. First of all, like not not <laughs> yeah, a million how dollars. Much, but also, M, let's put it on record. <laughs> well, certainly not less than a million dollars. Like you know, like. No, so anyway. today, um, where is it? Oh, is one hundred forty-two thousand. Yeah, are you fucking so, like, kidding me? Alone like, for your small business, like yeah, like that's this guy. Okay, yeah, I have my opinions, and I don't think this was money based. Yes, it doesn't seem like it was purely financial. Like it wasn't like he was in a hard place and like he was desperate, and this was the only choice. It was like he orchestrated this. Although maybe it was like. A scheme within a scheme where he was pretending with his ex mm-hmm. or his niece or whatever. He's saying, oh, it's about money. That way they won't catch on that he actually just feels like murdering Ex- well, people. Well, exactly. Exactly. Okay. And then when later he says, oh, it was always for money. People are like, are you sure? Because it doesn't like it seems like an excuse that he's created to be like, no, it's normal. I just wanted money. Yeah. And it's like there's something weirder happening here. Like your hunting obsession. Like there's something like uh-huh. uncomfortable here. Um, that's exactly why it's kind of like nobody totally knows Um, but yes he claims it's for money so she donates $16,000 to the drag strip business guess what the drag strip had to close anyway because it wasn't enough money so it's like after all that the financial upkeep was too high and it didn't even stay that alone does it for me where it's like oh it wasn't even enough money to keep your business alive and yet it was still worth it and it was like right afterward it's not like it lasted a few more years it was like Right after that, he still couldn't make the money to keep it up and just closed it. So it's like, wow, Jeez. what a fucking horrible waste of human life for Ugh. for a lame excuse as like 16000 bucks. Um, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Again, we have another period of time where he supposedly doesn't murder anyone else. And that's a good point, too, is like, as far as we know, <laughs> he didn't murder anyone else, you know? So it seems like a time of relative peace who knows maybe something happened in between there that he just never admitted to or we don't know about there's no Uh way to really know you know but yeah uh especially because these keep being accidents um but so supposedly he doesn't murder anyone else his marriage to ed or sorry ida ends in 1965 when she finds out about his affair with her niece and like his niece because they're married fair enough fair enough (laughs) fair enough And during this time, Sandy, the niece, becomes pregnant with what could potentially (gasps) be Engelman's baby. We don't know for sure, but like the timeline adds up. Um, So Sandy moves away to live with her grandmother and Engelman decides to get back into dentistry. He's like, let's get back to my hobby, my or my career, I guess, my career path. Um, I've spent enough time on drag racing and like sleeping with my niece. I guess it's time. I've been putzing around. It's time to get back on track, <laughs> yeah, you know. It's time to get back to the real deal. My college degree, put it to work, dust it off. 
Um, mm. So he decides to throw himself back into dentistry and he marries his third wife, Ruth Jolly, on April 15th, 1967. Mm-hmm. Um, and he seems to have settled into quite a simple, happy life. Uh, he He's never suspected for any of these crimes. He's not even like on the radar. So it's not even like he wow. has like to look over his shoulder. He's just completely living free. Which, like, and also I hate when the narcissist wins. That's, like, I, yeah. hate, I hate when it's like, oh, wow, like you were... You really did get away with it. Especially for something so stupid like blowing someone up in a well. It's like you weren't even trying like, to be sus- like uh, discreet. If that's how I go, every single person better be on the yeah. fucking trail to be like, where did that come oh, wow, from? Wow, what an unfortunate accident. Like if where I go did that way, dynamite come if from? I go that way, people will be like, like, and I don't blame you. People will be like, yeah, that sounds like something she would accidentally do. Oh, so. if you got blown up by dynamite, I'd be like, I don't know. She's probably like trying to hammer something into the wall <laughs> and was, hit a landmine. It was I don't in her know. purse. <laughs> she was looking for welding goggles. She accidentally picked up the TNT and it's just a big mistake. I mean, that I get. But if M dies by dynamite, we got to look into it, everybody, because dynamite or hiking, you know, something's wrong. Oh, no. Like, yeah, that's you bad know news. Some, you know, it wasn't me doing it. You were there against your will. Yes. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, so he is living the dream. Again, he's like super popular in the neighborhood. He's a pillar of the community. Mm-hmm. And it was noted that he began giving free dental care to people in town who couldn't afford it because he was just such a generous soul. Um, <sighs> however, according to the podcast Medical Murders that I mentioned earlier, apparently he was also known to be a racist and was once investigated by the St. Louis Civil Rights Commission for refusing care to a black woman. So as much as he's giving free dental care, he's eh, giving free dental care asterisk. Not really. Right. And he sucks. (laughs) Okay. Fair enough. Nine years later, he strikes again, this time with a new accomplice, his dental assistant, Carmen Miranda. So he's moved on from relatives to like, well, I guess employee. Well, yeah, he killed his first employee. Now he's working with his second employee. He still has tabs on his cohorts. Yes, yes, exactly. And he seems to always have new cohorts, I guess, because he's killing them. But yeah, so he has this (laughs) new cohort named Carmen Miranda. And she is more than his dental assistant. But by that, I don't mean they're sleeping together. I know that's what it sounds like. But... (laughs) Engelman's parents had taken care of the Miranda family during the 50s and 60s, and they had even lived under the Engelman roof for a while. So he had already, the Engelman's family had already taken the the Miranda family under their wing. So she was, it almost feels like she was already indebted to him a little bit. Got it. Because she like owed him for, you know, taking care of her family. So I don't know if that ends up having anything to do with it, but it sort of feels like it. Um, he had also semi-recently helped Carmen out by giving her an illegal abortion in the dentist chair because she couldn't find one anywhere else, understandably, in the 60s in Missouri. Wow. So so she, like, really is, like, in debt to him yes. as far as she might be concerned. Especially in a dangerous way of, like, she can't go to the authorities and say, guess what? I got an illegal abortion. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's already exactly. she's in a, in a tight place because he has something, quote unquote, against her as far as, like, the 60s go. So, when Engelman needed money, desperately, he turned to Carmen and persuaded her to marry a telephone lineman called Peter J. Holm. And Carmen later revealed that Engelman suggested that I marry someone and that he would kill them in order for them to get money. So, just outright again. I was going to say, so he's just like blank like point blank telling you like oh do this so that I can kill him. Yeah, precisely. Like there's no ulterior, there's no like... 
they're subtle. So like, oh, I met this guy, and you two would really hit it off. And yeah. also, like, I'm gonna awkwardly push like you were dating, get rushed, and then I'll like subtly like drop hints. No, he's outright like, why don't you woo this man so that I can murder him and we can make some money? But in which case, okay, well, I no comment. I would. <laughs> finally finally i've done it no comment i've never heard you say that before (laughs) just kidding and they did it so on september 5th 1976 engelman was now 49 peter j holm was shot in the back with a rifle as he stood next to his wife in a wooded area wow and guess what what (sighs) he fucking got away with it because carmen told the sheriff at the crime scene that this was a hit and run somebody ran by shot him in the back and left and she had no clue who it was question mark and so God. the sheriff wrote it off as an unfortunate accident, and that was that. It's like, really? Really? No one even asked, like, oh, a hit and run, like, was he involved in something? They never even investigated, like, who would have wanted to kill him. Okay. Or, like, was oh. she wanting to kill him? Like, nothing. They didn't yeah. even look. So, unfortunately, or fortunately, I don't really know, Carmen couldn't deal with her guilt in participating, and she was eventually hospitalized for depression, which um, she alleged came from this whole incident, which, like, I don't blame you. It seems like a lot. Yeah. Also, like, to, like, to convince someone to marry you, you at some point have to, like, put your guard down and realize, like, oh, this person is actually being really nice to me. And they really care and trust me. Yeah. 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 There's got to be some sort of, like... At some point when they're alone, I don't, like, maybe she did really feel, like, super in debt to this guy. But it makes you wonder, like, was there a point where she could have been, like, let's, like, double blind him and I'm on your side and let's go get him. Like, you know? Yeah, anything, like, pull out of this. But again, like, maybe she was just cornered because of... Yeah. Who knows what he ha- had on her, you know? So Ugh. I don't I don't know how exactly, like, how indebted she was. But apparently she didn't feel good after this incident. And Engelman, what a shock, didn't care uh, <laughs> that her feelings were hurt, quote unquote. Um, he had a tax bill he needed to settle. So he demanded that Carmen claim the life insurance money immediately. And it was $75,000. Um, and not wanting to deal with Engelman anymore, Carmen had her brother, Nick, take over the insurance. And Nick gave Engelman the $10,000. Today, that's forty seven grand. So still not okay. like that much money for going and shooting someone in cold blood. And yeah, again, it's like hard to say. It's like, not that I think any amount of money is worth shooting someone in cold blood, to be clear, it's but definitely not that number. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not that number. Um, and so interesting that she had her brother involved because later the brother Nick ends up testifying against him. So just a heads up that like he ends up because she roped him now into this whole scheme. He ends up with some intel on Dr. Engelman as well. So Peter Holm had literally just been shot and now Engelman was already planning his next murder. So I think that goes into the whole theory of like the shorter intervals. Or maybe that he's now going after people with less money. He has to keep doing it to actually make bank. That's true. He's like, wow, I already ran out. Yeah, that's a good point, too. Engelman had a new accomplice. He now turned to another employee named Bob. And his name was Bob Handy, and he knew he could trust this guy. Guess what uh, job description Bob Handy had? Uh, he was a handyman. Yep. <laughs> Can you imagine being born with that name, being like, well, this is my destiny, I guess. Oh, God. Well, <laughs> so you know, Bob- it's it's meant to be. I knew someone, I've mentioned this before, I think, but in college, I knew someone who was like in a, a, a poli-sci major, wanted to grow up to be like a justice 
and their last name was Justice, so they would be See, Justice Justice. It's I like mean, you at that point, like you It's meant to be. You gotta, you gotta lean into if it. If your last name is Baker and you don't know how to get me a cake, I judge you a little <laughs> bit, you know? And that's a really common one too. So there Just should saying. be a lot more cakes involved uh in this world. You're telling me. You're I've seen very little right. cakes. Did you know I made a cake last night at like one in the morning? Did it look like your lumberjack one, Christine? Um was it that good? It literally was it worse? Did. It literally did look like it. Okay, this is what happened. How what this were you what trying it... <laughs> What were you tr- what were you trying to do? <laughs> okay. Here's what happened. I got no, really No 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 no. Here's what happened. Christine, you the lumberjack one looked bad because it actually was complex. This one looks like it was a simple chocolate cake. It came out of a box. <laughs> Here's what did what you do? I got too impatient and it was in the oven not long enough. And I was like, well, oh, I still Christine. want to eat it. And then it said, wait for it to cool. And I did it. I just dumped it out and started putting frosting on it. And it just fell in two million pieces. Um, you were so horrible when it comes to like <laughs> when the the one rule is wait. Like, I can't. You know, I can't. You, I can't. Literally, you had to wait two different times. Wait for it to be in the oven. <laughs> wait for it to not be scorching hot. No. And neither time did you learn. You, like I can't. What? Something's it's, wrong with you. I know. I know. It's like I have, <laughs> I have no ability to be patient. It's and I'm 30 years old. Like, you'd think I'd have a better grasp. A, a, You're about ability. to have a baby. I Get know. fucking ready. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, I cannot even w- force myself to walk away and, like, count to 10. I can't. I just have no impulse control when it comes to stuff like that. So that, the best that's part the about is, is what I'm The answering. best part about the ADHD, though, is that I am just distracted all the time. So when I'm mad about having to wait, five seconds later, I'm like, oh, wait, here's another massive project I can focus on. And then I forget about the cake. And then I surprise myself and I'm rewarded oh. with cake at the end. And I'm like, okay. I'm very lucky. Maybe I should very just lucky. be more distractible. <laughs> well, ain't that the truth? Teach okay. me your ways. Send me a, send me that picture of your cake because I really am going to need to judge this you for so that This is so embarrassing. Later. You can even see the container of like store-bought $2 frosting in the background. Like it's not even like it t- and I I feel like in general I'm actually a pretty decent baker. I know it doesn't seem like it, but like when it actually comes to like real, you know, complex Oh, Christine. What? <laughs> Oh, Christine. You know, I will say, I know it's not, like, completely cooked, but it does give me, like, Bruce from Matilda cake vibes. Yes. And, like, and you know I'm kind it, of for it. It tasted pretty good, and I ate a lot of it because it kept falling apart, so I had to keep just putting it in my mouth. Um, so it sounds like a good problem. But, like, it, ew, Christine, you, you know what I'm most grossed out about is, like, how you handled that jar of frosting <laughs> That wasn't so even, gross. like, part of the problem, and yet somehow the frosting is, like, a fucking disaster in the background. Like, I already know your hands were covered in frosting, <laughs> oh, and you were just... disgusting. You were just licking your fingers. It was in my hair. Right. I mean, I'm, like, a fucking three-year-old. <laughs> I, like, have no control. It's horrible. Christine, if, if you showed me that can of frosting in a couple weeks, I would be like, oh, your baby was eating frosting, <laughs> clearly. How did you get the baby? Don't let the baby eat frosting. I know. It's... Honestly, I don't know. I don't know. I have no control. I'm sorry. If I didn't, if I didn't know it was undercooked, that cake does look really fucking good, though. That looks like the cake I wanted from Matilda. Thank you. It actually tasted pretty damn good. So, for what it's worth, 
Uh, listen, I didn't make anyone else eat it, so like, like, don't make me eat it. But like, I will, I will longingly look at it. Okay. I don't want to get sick, but I'll look at it. No, it, it was cooked. I promise it was cooked. It just was too hot. You I just, can't promise me that. I can't promise you anything. <laughs> I'm so full of shit. Um. Anyway, so when you say where's the cake, I just couldn't help but tell you that there is cake downstairs, but it is. Well, let's just put it this way. That picture shows me that your last name is not Baker. <laughs> I know. That's why. You know, my last name actually means slate, uh, like roofing. But don't put me on a roof either. I don't think that's going to end well either. Um, huh. So, you know. I think my last name, what's what's Schultz mean? Isn't that like a landowner or something? Yeah, I feel like we've looked this up or we asked my mom. Um, I really shouldn't own land. No, so probably not. I just rent. So anyway. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it literally just means like you own a, a plot of land. Cool. <laughs> I know. Okay. Fun. Mine means slate. Okay. And Schaefer means shepherd. And I was always like, cool, my name means shepherd. And then my parents were like, no, it means slate. And I was <laughs> like, that's so fucking boring. Whatever. Okay. So I made a cake. Anyway, back to this. Um, so Handy is a, Mr. Handy is a handyman. That's kind of uh, the moral of the story. That's that's where we got. Yeah, that's where that's where we got derailed. Um, he was a handyman for the dental practice, and when Engelman and Handy grabbed lunch together in the past, Engelman confided in him about his murder spree. Which I'm oh, like, wow. How do you end up in that position where you're like, I gotta tell you something. Bob Handy has like a set of those eyes. I was that are about just to say he's got just the eyes. W- warm eyes you could just melt into and tell them anything wow I mean, you just lose yourself in those eyes i bet you do you just out of nowhere like by the way i've murdered three people you know <gasps> gasp Th- three at this point uh yes yeah three yes and so uh handy is like instead of being like uh check please and also your nearest phone booth he's like actually i'm really fascinated can you tell me more and so I don't know how this, this is how you and I met, by the yeah, way. That's right, that's true. I, I literally just told you about a bunch of grisly crime and you're I was like, anyway, I'm sure this is the end of our friendship. And, and my went, eyes no, no, just no. lit up and I said, Keep you went, going. Come back. Come back. <laughs> Keep going. Yeah. So when Engelman confided in him, Bob Handy was like, Actually, I'm really into this. And so Engelman was like, Okay, well, actually I have the perfect opportunity for you. We're gonna make loads of money. And Handy was like, All right, I'm in. So Engelman had an affair with this woman named Barbara Boyle, and he convinced Barbara to woo after they had an affair together. He's like, I know that this has been fun and we're having such a romantic time, but I need you to woo this man named Ronald Goosewell and marry him <laughs> um, wow. for me. This this uh, plan really does work every time, it seems. So. He, at least for what it's worth, he's sticking to the plan that works. Like he's not mixing it up at all. Yeah. And it works. So she obeyed. Uh, she wooed this man named Ronald Goosewell and got married and Engelman prepared to strike. Hmm. So plans changed a little bit because Barbara revealed to Engelman that not only was Ronald Goosewell loaded, his parents were really loaded. Oh, no. I know. So on November 3rd, 1977, Engelman and Bob Handy broke into Ronald's parents' farmhouse near near Edwardsville, Illinois, where he shot both Ardner, Arthur excuse me, and Vernita Guzel. Guzel, sorry. Both parents. He just shot them in their house. It's terrible. Wow. So despite a solid investigation, police ruled that this was a home invasion gone wrong. Simple as that. Wow. Simple as that. And a year later, Ron, who was an only child, claimed his parents' inheritance. 
So this is like a long plan this time. Wow, this was a real long She had to plan. marry this man for a while to get through to the end. And a year after that, at 11 p.m. on March 31st, 1979, Engelman was ready to complete his mission. When Ron was pulling into his driveway, Engelman and Handy ambushed him in his garage, pulled a 38 pistol on him then and there, and left his body in his car, dead. Ugh. And it took five days before anyone discovered the body. <sighs> That's terrible. Yeah, yeah. And because he was, like, in his fancy car with cigarettes, they found coins and condoms on him. They believed he had driven to East St. Louis to hire a sex worker, which is, like, because he had condoms on him, I guess. Wow. Making a lot of assumptions oh. here, but... Yeah, just because, like, I mean, I don't know, like, well, anyone that has uh, a penis... I don't know, like, I don't, I feel like a lot of people just have condoms on them. Like, yeah. I feel like that's very normal. And I get that he was married, so maybe they were like, well, it's not like he was using them with his wife, but it's like, well, he could have been. I don't know. It just seems like a lot of assumptions they're making. Yeah, but. that's a lot. Are you kidding me? Oh, my God. If if someone found me in a car with a condom, I'd be like, I don't know. My friend left it in the car. Like, that's just what happens. It, like, Christine's people have purse has a lot weirder things than condoms in it. You never and know. And she's not using them. She had a baby. <laughs> yeah. you know? Who knows where this came from? Honestly, it's a mystery. <laughs> just leftovers. <laughs> so they found these condoms and cigarettes in his car. And they were like, oh, no, he must have been up to no good. And so they basically just said, well, he must have just been in the wrong place at the wrong time, met the wrong crowd. And that's how, why he was killed. So, again. And literally nobody after several years has been like, hey, this guy is slightly affiliated with every murder. We Never. should go talk to him. Never. Insane. No one is doing their work over here. I know. It's like, like uh, come on. Somebody... What year did DNA come out? Like, or was like, did DNA, <laughs> DNA become like was a... invented? You know what I mean? Yeah. When, uh, like when the late, start... like the early 90s. Oh, was when it was okay, first was used like, in evidence. Okay. I was like, damn, what is going on in the 70s? Yeah, no, it became like common practice in like the 90s, I think, or more common. Um, so Barbara then became heir to the Goosewell oil business fortune because she had married Ronald and was able to claim her inheritance and her husband's life insurance policy 17 months later, which totaled to 340000 which today is $1.5 So eventually oh, he got his big windfall, I guess. And then did she split that evenly with him or did he get all 1.5 million? No, he did not get all 1.5. At this point, she's been married to this guy for th like three years. So I, I would wow. hope she got at least something. But um, she distributed some of it to Engelman and Handy. It doesn't say how much um, in any of the sources, but a portion she gave to them, too. And Got luckily it. for Engelman, eventually suspicion raised around Barbara Boyle because mm. apparently she was the one acting a little too fishy for everyone's good. And she was arrested and convicted of the murder and her, sorry, of the murder of him, her husband and his parents and sentenced oh, wow. to jail for 50 years. But she didn't fucking give him up. She didn't say Engelman <gasps> was involved. Wow. Okay, right? first of all, though, if I were to scheme, that's a homie. Like, that's that's a good friend. But also, like, on the outskirts of that story, what the fuck? Like, why didn't no she Engelman say anything? No, wouldn't, wouldn't do that for you, you know? Not in a million years. So, like, Apparently for, like, maybe a dollar. He Like, are you kidding? Like, he, for very little money, he wanted you to spend three years of your life. Yeah, give like, you up for... 1.5 yeah. million. Not even all 1.5 million. Like, he... This okay, and I don't he, know again if he's threatening her. I have no idea, but somehow he is just this Enrico Suave that like nobody is he like incredibly handsome so or something. The way they described it, which I think I actually mentioned later, is like that he was just very 
um what's the word he could just had the eyes yeah he had the eyes i mean i think he could just enamor women and like draw them in which always like gets me because i'm like really like that (laughs) i have yet to meet many people i've maybe met like one or two people who like just by looking at me i i would do almost anything well it's like just me right it's like kovu and you yeah (laughs) (laughs) christine as human drawing fanfic yeah um it's really kovu as a human and you as a lion it's just a a weird mishmash (laughs) of that oh man i'd be such a cute lion okay you'd be a very sweet lion with little dimples and you'd say all your s's like z's it'd be crazy (laughs) i'd be like it's the kookiest lion of all (laughs) all right so she got arrested, didn't give him up, and that was that. So three years later, Engelman finally commits his last murder. So January 14th, 1980, 50-year-old Sophia Barrera was killed by a car bomb. Wow. So, another bomb? Another bomb. So, wait, what was the first bomb? There wasn't the dynamite? <gasps> the dynamite. Yeah, I forgot about the explosion. Yeah. I, I wonder if he was like, that was the more interesting way to do this. I'm going to go yeah, back like, and I'm do it again Yeah, like I'm bored of shooting people. I don't know. Yeah, so he went back to the bomb. And what, what he did was 4.45 p.m., she, Sophie, left for work, or sorry, left work and headed to a red Ford Pinto. And she hadn't clocked that something had been placed under her front left tire behind oh. it. It's awful. Sophie. I know. So when she started the ignition and began reversing, it triggered the bomb and it went off and killed her. Um, And at the time, it wasn't clear who was guilty of the murder right away. But finally, Engelman was on the radar for this because they had actually started. They had actually had him eyed for the initial murder of James Bullock, which was that first one, which is where Edna's husband was killed five months Mm. after they got married. And that okay. was, like, 58, and now we're in 1980. So, like, they had him kind of on the radar for that. Hmm. So they didn't know about anything in between. But so since then and now, finally, they're like, okay, this guy has another connection. We're going to bring him back into the circle. And the fact that Sophie Barrera was the owner of a South St. Louis dental laboratory to which Engelman owed $14,000 at the time Uh, uh made authorities a little bit suspicious. So finally, finally, I know. So Sophie, Sophie Barrera had even taken Engelman to court over the dispute. So like this was a well-known issue they were having with each other. And Sophie's son knew this as well. And so Sophie's son was like, I know exactly who this is. It's this Engelman fella who's been like fighting financially in the courts with my mother for so long. At least it's sorry. At least it's like, I mean, I guess it comes from him being kind of a narcissist. Like he's gotten away with everything so far. Might as well like hit closer to home. Because this is so much more obvious, I feel like, than the last ones where he always had a middle person involved who who did the dirty work, uh, basically. So, yeah, this was a very much a direct, like, you're probably right. He probably just thought, like, well, all the other ones worked. So he was the main person who would have profited from Sophie's death. He was brought in for questioning. And although he refused to take a polygraph test, he chatted with the police for about three hours. And uh, in this interview, according to Medical Murders podcast, he rallied against Sophie, denied any involvement in her death. He claimed he would have won the lawsuit and even said, I'm not sorry she's dead. She got what she deserved. <gasps> Fucking idiot. Oh, my God. Yeah. What a psycho. What a terrible, 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 terrible. Sorry to use that word. It should not be used out of medical context. That was inappropriate. But like what a horrifyingly inappropriate, terrible man. So investigators. He's a dummy. He's a dummy. That's a better word. He 
was he unfortunately i guess maybe he was so narcissistic because he had an alibi which was that he was in his dental office the entire day of the bombing so investigators did let him go at first um and so he thought like well i'm off the hook but like i mean clearly they haven't caught him yet but at this point they're like well just because you were in the office doesn't mean someone else planted the bomb for you so finally they're getting to the point of like Maybe someone else helped you out. <laughs> like, it only took several years to start wondering if maybe we should, like, really, like, not listen to just whatever the first story is. Yes, really. like, he's just in with his patients. Oh, well, like, yeah, exactly. Maybe he had help. Hmm. So they decide to interview his wife, Ruth Engelman. And according oh. to court documents from Murderpedia, my favorite website, uh, Ruth Engelman, who had since divorced, so I guess ex-wife, had since divorced, um, spoke to federal law enforcement authorities, gave them information about her husband's past activities, as she now feared for her life. So huh. Ruth at this point is like, I got to give him up. <laughs> like, this guy's messed up and I know it. Mm-hmm. So in what turned out to be a 56-page statement. Whoa. <laughs> I know. I thought That's we a talk book. a lot. <laughs> That's a book. Okay. It's a book. Ruth told the police everything she knew about Engelman's past and his murders. So in the court documents on Murderpedia, it says, At the request of the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms on February 14, 1980, she wore devices to allow certain conversations between her and her former husband to be monitored and recorded. And during these taped conversations, Engelman acknowledged his involvement with Carmen Miranda in a scheme to obtain money and that he had received $10,000 from her brother, Nicholas Miranda, which was the one where he shot Carmen's husband at the woods. Got it. So he's just, like, blabbing to his ex-wife, like, about all these people he's murdered. Um, I'm glad the cockiness is finally catching up, at the very least. It usually does, or at least the stories where it does are always so satisfying. Yeah, or at least they're, like, he's getting sloppy. I don't know if he's getting, like, cocky, but he's definitely getting sloppy. He's definitely, like, full of himself to an extent. Yeah. Um, so he also told his wife he'd like to quietly settle down and practice dentistry for a little. And he said, there's no possession on my part, no driving urgency to keep getting rid of my fellow man, which is like, so he's clearly on, he has a complex about like, it's not Uh because I want to kill them, which is like, why would you insist on that unless you did want to kill them? Um, and so when Ruth pressed him for a reason for his murderous ways, he replied, money, 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 money. Uh, He also talked of a nice camaraderie that you have and closeness with the women who help with the killings. Oh, that's an interesting little... Right? A weird social twist. Yeah, he likes the the bond, the fellowship of it. Of murdering people and having like a secret with the women. It's like forcing them to trauma bond with you. Yes! That's really awful. And interestingly it's the women that he finds so he's having women kill their husbands which probably he gets off on like yeah to an extent. Of like mm-hmm. oh Ooh. so gross wow i feel like that answer was in front of us this whole time but i never noticed i know it's kind of weird how it like suddenly fits it like clicks it's like oh you just wanted to, you kind of liked watching like a relationship crumble yeah the or power something. of like being yeah yeah mm-hmm. controlling it and Ugh, Ugh. so gross like to, like how narcissistic of like you want to be able to create something mm-hmm. watch it be destroyed and in the middle convince the people in that thing you created like it's like a really fucked up game of sims of like yeah. I'm, I'm gonna build you up from the very beginning like get right in and infiltrate it with one of the people involved and destroy it from 
and it was never really a thing to begin with if it weren't for me. And then profit Ugh. off of it. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And then, like, hold it against you so you can't. And then when the woman goes to jail, be like, well, you can't tell on me. I mean, mm-hmm. it's all very dark. Wow. So, Awful. yeah, terrible. So with they have evidence now of him literally saying, oh, yeah, I killed Carmen Randa's husband and made money off it. So they have Jeez. this evidence now. At least. And um, he was arrested in February of 1980, not for the murder from a few weeks ago, but the f- murder he committed four years ago, which was the Miranda husband, because he admitted to that on tape. So it was like okay. the husband at the woods. Um, so as Engelman had been caught, people who had involvement with the crime started to kind of coming up, started to kind of come out of the woodwork and exchange information for immunity. Because, again, he brought so many different people into his schemes it was, like, bound to unravel. Yeah. Like, put them all in one room by themselves, and they're going to put pieces so, together really exactly. quick. Exactly. Like, it's going to start falling apart. And so Carmen and her brother Nick told all about Engelman's early murders. Bob Handy eventually admitted guilt and agreed to testify against Engelman. Um, so in Engelman's trial, partner of Engelman's at the Pacific Drag Strip named John Newton Carner, I'm sorry, Carter, also testified against Engelman in regards to the death of Eric Fry, you know, who was pushed down a well and Mm -hmm. uh, exploded with dynamite. And Carter revealed that Engelman admitted to killing Fry for the insurance proceeds. And I'm like, if you knew that, why didn't you tell somebody before now? Yeah, it feels like a lot of people, like, chose on their own to be confidants for a really... For very awful things. Yeah, like really awful. Like, hey, remember that guy who worked here? Guess what? I pushed him down a well and blew him up with dynamite. Anyway, yeah. have a nice weekend. It's happy hour. Like, what? And it's like, well, you're going to think like, oh, that guy's crazy. Wow. He just tells silly stories. At the drag strip, no- anything goes. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't know where, <laughs> like, where this like element of like, yeah, like you said, confidant comes from. Maybe he really was just that smooth and that slick that like. Or maybe he really was like that like slippery that like when he would say things like you really couldn't tell if he was telling the truth or yeah. not. People just kind of shrugged it off because they're like there's no way that would really happen yeah because he was like that charming or whatever maybe yeah but that's another like sign of like his narcissism Mm -hmm. of like i could literally tell you to your face and you're not going to do anything about it And he did which is just wild Mm. so carter was like yeah he admitted to it carmen miranda supported the testimony saying angleman had told her he had killed eric fry and divided the insurance proceeds with fry's widow um, and then in Nicholas Miranda, who's the brother, in his statement, he spoke about how Engelman had said during one of the attempts on Holmes' life, um, which is the husband. So I guess, you know, when they shot him at the woods, apparently that was like not the first time they had tried to kill him because oh. the first time a dog barked at them. And so he and Bob Handy had to run away. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought like, for a second, like, some, like multiple traumas had happened to him. No. And he was still, like, going into woods by himself. In <laughs> no, no, no. It was like they had attempted it, but, like, the plot was foiled before it even started. Gotcha. And Handy didn't even dispute this and just said, yes, we did. Like, we did try that and it did fail and blah, blah, blah. So... Ugh. During the trial, when thinking about Engelman's motive, um, it was obvious there was financial gain, but prosecutor Gordon Ankney drew everyone's attention to how all the crimes were, quote, sexual in nature. So huh. Ankney told the jury, he says he does it for money, but I think that's a front. He never did it for enough to make it worthwhile. He related mm-hmm. homicidal intimacy with sexual intimacy, which I was like, whoa. Oh. Isn't that fascinating? That sounds like some criminal mind shit. Ooh. Ugh, I get I goose some, cam homicidal I was, intimacy. I was going to say, I got some very sharp, cold chills. Yeah, yuck. So that was fascinating. 
Um, oh, that makes total sense. Isn't that creepy and like fitting? Yeah. So homicidal intimacy with sexual intimacy. There was almost a sexual excitement about killing, which is probably why he was so adamant that like, oh, it wasn't about killing because like he knew it was about killing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he's said to have quite a sexual drive. He has a very macho image of himself, which I'm like, I would. You don't fucking say. Yeah. <laughs> Kill surprise. Yeah. <laughs> Yesterday, Blaze was like, "What does kill surprise mean?" And I was like, "Excuse me, excuse me. I'm glad that you're listening excuse to the podcast." Me. But what what are you saying to me the month before September? What are <laughs> okay, you saying? All right, fair conversations between us must sound so dumb. <laughs> like to outsiders, what are they talking about? This weird German lady. Um. So, an article by the New York Daily News describes how Engelman was said to have a hypnotic way with women. I was trying to come up with the word they used. It was hypnotic. Hypnotic. Um, and he would use that to coerce them into murder schemes. Mm-hmm. And with all this ten- testimony against him, Glennon Engelman was heading behind bars. And because he knew it, he fessed up to the murder of the Goosewell oil fortune family, including the parents, um, wow. which Barbara was like in prison for. Um, Did she ever get like out for that? Not that I know of. Uh, <gasps> I mean, I, I, I don't know. Maybe eventually, but to kill three people for financial motives doesn't seem like something you'd necessarily get out for. So I don't know. But it didn't seem like this was a. It seemed like I that was like her destiny, which just sucks. Fair, fair. But I feel like she so quickly would be like retrial, please, or like find a way to. Yeah, you know, I can't believe like she didn't if you're fess just... up to him being involved. But who knows what he had on her or. I mean, I guess if she, I guess during her first, her original trial, if they said, like, was anybody else involved and she said no, then she kind of. Yeah, she like kind of painted it. Yeah, exactly. Like she kind of set the, set it up to be just a solo mission. I'm sure at some point she was like, damn, I should have asked for a retrial if I'm like just sitting here and like, maybe I only get 40 years instead of 50 years. Like some bullshit Yeah, maybe. I mean, and honestly, I don't know. I should probably look it up. Um, It wasn't mentioned in the articles, but maybe. Um, Sorry, did not mean to sound, I didn't mean to sound as shocked as I did. I was just like, I mean, it's I'm shocked she didn't ask. I'm shocked she didn't ask for a retrial. I mean, you could probably argue like I was coerced by this hypnotic man (laughs) into doing this i don't know um so he fessed up to those murders and his sentence which was going to be a double life term then became a triple life term because he added the goosewell family to the murder victims he was sentenced to another 30 years and he was never actually charged with that the first murder the bullock shooting his ex-wife's husband really which is odd because that was the one that they had already pegged him for in yeah. the beginning, but I guess he was just never charged with it, and they had. What they enough. were like, they're like after three life sentences, like why even bother What's going the through point? this? Which always kind of bothers me because it's like, I feel that like was that's still someone's life. Yeah, exactly. Like that's still closure for someone's family or whatever. But you know, I guess not. I guess he never got charged. And Gordon Ankney, uh, he who I met, who I quoted earlier, he also said most believed he was a kindly old dentist in South St. Louis, but he is a Doctor Engelman and Mister Hyde. <laughs> like oh god interesting okay, interesting I, creative license mm, there yeah you really went for it with that one <laughs> he looked around the, the courtroom like eh anybody <laughs> <He was> like, <laughs> eh, eh? i worked really hard on that line <laughs> 
<laughs> um, so March 3rd, 1999, Glennon Engelman, age 71, died behind Jefferson City prison bars due to complications from diabetes. And in the years prior to his death, his sister Melody had said to a source called UPI, he's just getting old, old and sick. He's lost a toe, lost it last year, and he has a hole in his neck. You can almost put a couple fingers in it, which is like, Whoa. oh, dear, goodness gracious. My God. He's having a rough time. While at Jefferson City Prison, Engelman refused to do many interviews, but in one of the rare interviews he did do, the reporter said that he was highly intelligent with an IQ near 140. He liked talking about parapsychology and signs of the Zodiac. <laughs> uh -oh. oh Well, sadly, in another world, we might have been friends I was going to say, him. that sounds kind of like what we talk about. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he was also mightily cocky, saying things like, let's face it, I'm a celebrity. Jesse James, oh. the Dalton Gang, and Dr. Engelman. It's like, nobody says that. But <laughs> yeah, like, please tell me where you got that quote. Cite your source. Yeah, cite your source. Is it your brain? Probably. Jesse James and the killer driller. You know, it's all. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> oh, my God. It's like, ooh, nice try, though, bud. Um, so anyway, yeah. that's the story of the killer wow. dentist who actually didn't kill people in the dentist chair, which is what it sounds like. I know. Like. Yeah. That's what I thought was going to happen this whole time. I feel like I did kind of prepare that with saying like, Oh, he's dontophobia, a killer dentist. But mm -hmm. um, now nah, it was just on the outs. You know, dentistry was just his day day job. Well, now next time you're going to the dentist, you can wonder if they've committed some other acts. You don't know? ask them while you're there because I feel like you're in a in a vulnerable position in that chair. Um, don't like, ask them if they've ever watched Wiley e. Coyote and gotten <laughs> ideas. You know, <laughs> if they know how to use dynamite. Um, All right. Do you have an answer to my my? I do. Does this come earlier? out this Sunday or next Sunday? Next Sunday. Oh, okay. Next Sunday. So next Sunday, actually, I've already said this, but it's the Ego Waffle Box from Stranger Things. Uh -huh. 17 to 18 inches. Let's see what 80s nostalgia is. So it's a moon boot. <laughs> <gasps> moon boot. Oh, feels pretty wow. big. <laughs> I, that's a moon boot is literally like an astronaut foot that's, that's a, a massive that's a chonky baby. thing yeah uh, uh my cousin when we were younger this does not make me look good but <laughs> when i was younger my little cousin who like desperately was trying to impress Aww. me which like i was only like one year older but i was like i'm very fed up with her and i told her she could only impress me if she skateboarded while riding moon oh, boots um. while in moon boots and she took one wrap around the cul-de-sac and she broke her arm. And I feel really bad about it. But she broke her arm. Oh, God. Any Anything to impress me, I guess, which was so sad. Now, in hindsight, I'm like, ooh, that's not cool. Has but as a kid, I was... You? <laughs> I don't think she... Rem she remembers breaking her arm, but I don't think she remembers, like, the the context Someone's of, like... Someone's about to remind her. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody knows which cousin it is. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, she does. That's a challenge. But, uh... <laughs> But no, I I remember her being like, "Hang out with me," and I like I was like, "I'll hang out with you once you moon boot skateboard." And then she didn't get to hang out with me because we had to go to the hospital. So yeah, you got oh. to hang out with her at the hospital. You got you know the what? ultimate. She got what she wanted to hang out with me. Just we didn't plan it to be. Did hospital, you sign her so. cast? No. <gasps> em, you came up with that answer very fast. You didn't even have to I, think. Because I've thought about it. Uh, to be fair, no one asked if I think. Uh, probably my mom and my aunt were mad at me, and so they didn't even let me like enjoy the fun part they didn't of a cast. Give you a sharpie. Be signing it. I guess I wouldn't give my kid a sharpie either. I'd be like, you don't have sharpie privileges today. 
Especially, like, I mean, it was, like, my aunt's kid. Imagine, like, Zandy's kid telling your kid, like, go break your arm and I'll be impressed, <laughs> you know? Like, I think it'd be, like, Show you don't get to, to sign the cast. Yeah, you don't get to sign the cast. That's a fair point, Em. You're right. You're completely right. Anyway. Sorry. Anyway, on that note, I love these, like, fun little side <laughs> side stories. Um, so, yeah. Uh, wa- Ego Waffles and uh, Moon Boots, so... Uh, if you learned anything today, uh, maybe avoid the dentist and also don't skateboard in moon boots. So. Yeah, and don't avoid the dentist because you should probably keep your teeth, hi- dental hygiene in check. But if, if they're a murder suspect, maybe avoid them. Check for like them a on Yelp. Bit. Check them on Yelp first. Maybe yeah, check out maybe Zocdoc and see what's going Just on. Just check you know? Zocdoc and see. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and that's why we drink. <laughs> Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University, that's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application.